Hello and welcome back to the Game Pit. This is 183, that's episodes, and we are joined in the We're pit. recording 183 episodes right now. Yes, right now. One episode! God damn, I'm coming! <laughs> oh, man, you've signed up for 183 episodes. I hope you've played a lot of games. You do this every <laughs> time, Jude. You, you let the cat out of the bag every time, even though your name will be on the title of this <laughs> exactly. episode. Hello, everyone, I'm here. <laughs> They must be used to him by now, hanging around. Every time we do a best of a year, he just sneaks in the back door. I, I have some game opinions. Hello. You put them on the smallest channel you can, so no one catches you out. None of your affiliates. <laughs> so, should, should, we, should we let him introduce himself? And we don't want any of that what it played stuff. Tell us, tell us your own projects, Matthew. Hello, I'm Matthew from What You Played. That's where you might know me from. But I also do This Game's Broken. I'll be honest. I'll say I run This Game's Broken. Uh, that's just a fact. And I also have, do a travel YouTube channel, which you can find uh, as well. That's something I do. So that's me. That's all the things I do at the moment. And that's you can be found on YouTube for that. It's your name, isn't it? Matthew Jude. Just Matthew it? Jude. Type it yeah. in. Type it in and go and watch him visit Kosovo, Bulgaria, Istanbul. After hungry soon. Hungry, there we go. Yeah. They're very entertaining that they are as well. Glorious. This is a board game podcast. (laughs) 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 We're going to talk about the best and worst of 2021 at last. As usual, long delayed. uh, Giving ourselves enough time to look back at the previous year. We've sorted out the format as usual again. Sean, what are we going to be running through this time? We're going to start off with whatever we want to. So what we've said to each of us uh, is that just choose your top five, your top seven, your top two, whatever you want, and have a rant, have a talk, have a chat about it. So it's tailored to your very self. It's the award that I like to call the Ronan and Matthew can't be bothered to talk about board game production and art. So they don't want Sean Wingen at the award. Yes. Nailed it. And then we're going to go. <laughs> then we're going to go into the top three disappointments. Always a fan favourite. Before we reel off our top ten of twenty twenty one. I tell you that disappointment list was easy, easy to write, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it was this year. <laughs> uh, not, 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 not. I mean, I don't want to ruin an episode just as we're starting. Not for me, the strongest year ever. No, no, I don't think it was the strongest year. But I think every year is. It's so much stronger than sort of five, ten years ago that for me is just um, the games are just getting so good. And I think we're getting a little bit spoiled. So whereas this year might not be the strongest, but when I do compare it to years gone by, I, th- I start thinking, it was it the strongest? I'm pretty happy with the ten games on my list. I'm very happy with this year. I'm going to have to strengthen my statement. It was a bad year. Compared to any year you like, I did, I did. These games that I bottom half of my top ten wouldn't make a normal top ten. I will say that now. I was or whatever. It didn't click with me. Twenty twenty two has been much stronger to me already than twenty twenty one was. Twenty twenty two is setting up to be a good year, though. I will say that. Yes, agreed, agreed. I'm not saying by any means that they're not good games. I would say they were all very good games. I think that they would not make other top tens. That's all. Okay, well, we should... You're entitled to your opinions. (laughs) (laughs) Someone has to listen to them, otherwise I start getting a little bit frantic. (laughs) Okay, shall we crack into our our choice of top whatever it is? And Matthew, you're going to lead us off. 
Alright, well I've done a top five hidden gems of the year, and I think we Ooh. should go into them right now. Number five is Embarcadero, which was one of those games that kind of snuck in by Renegade Games, and then just like they tend to do, they forgot about it immediately, and it's gone forever. It's a game where you're building up, is it the San Francisco port system, something like that? And there's a spatial thing where you're building up with all these blocks, and you actually build up these boats. I played it with Sean, and we all loved it, didn't we? And I thought it was fantastic, but nobody's talking about it. I reckon Sean will be later. (laughs) (laughs) It's definitely one that absolutely went under the radar. And I think a lot of that is because of Renegade just pumping these games out and not really supporting them. But yeah, we might hear a bit more about it later. I hope so, because I just remember finishing that game and thinking, this doesn't happen that often. I thought, and we all said it, wow, that was really fun. And I just enjoyed it. The next one, number four, is... Oh, can we just uh, just put a ding in here for anyone who's doing Renegade Bingo? If you have between the fifth and sixth minutes, you get a point for that. <laughs> next. The next one, number four, I've got Karuka, which is from a British woodworking company, I guess. They make this game called Karuka. It's a mix between Crokinole or Carum and Snooker. It's a flicking game. It is just... So much fun. However, I also love watching the snooker. So it is tailored slightly towards me. They also have a pool variant that you can play as well. But if I was going to get one of these big flicking games, I'm not getting Crokinole, I'm getting Karuka. It's just so good. Has either of you played it? I'm desperately trying to type it into BGG and you're going to have to spell yes. it. How do you spell Karuka? C-A-R-R-O-O-K-A, I believe. See, I, I didn't know what it was until you mentioned Snooker, and I remember seeing it now in the UK GE and looking at it. I think you might have even pointed it out, Matthew. So I think I did. I think I did. It basically is Snooker, but on a round table, but you flick. Yeah. How good is that? <laughs> I'd never heard of it, and it looks absolutely awesome. Exactly. Okay, I'm fully in. I'm fully, gems that of is the year, I'm telling you. Yeah. Okay, big tick next to that one on my list. Carry on. All right, the next one is for Hidden Gems. It's one that I felt like got a bit of initial buzz and that died down pretty quick, and I think undeservedly so, which was Shamans from Hachette, which is a trick-taking game with traitors in it. And you're trying to take tricks and get points, but you also can choose a team to be on. And then you can switch teams, all that type of stuff. And over the course of the game, you want to be on the team that wins if you're good, or the team that kind of like tanks everything if you're bad, essentially. It's got incredibly beautiful abstracted artwork on it. Fantastic trick-taking game, Shamans. I really like that one. Mm, It's a trick-taking game. Probably not for me, especially... I feel bad enough when I'm bad. Imagine if I'm bad bad for my team. That's even worse. Yeah, I've played the crew here. I know what I know. What I'm <laughs> I've tried that. I've tried. Uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to throw two things at it. First is that the box was a bit of a jumble, mm. which we know people are shallow. And the second thing is, if you say trick taker or social deduction, those are generally small Venn diagram crossover That's different areas very of gaming. true so I think it was a hard sell definitely so I never tried it I didn't lure me in it's a good one my number two hidden gem of the year is from Brotherwise Games and it's a Brotherwise game that you wouldn't think would be Brotherwise game and that is Night of the Ninja which is a big social deduction game where you are all 
you've all got these roles and you've got two cards and you're trying to be the person who stays alive until the end of the round there's a a bunch of roles in it and you are of two different there's two different teams and you want either the one team to win or the other team to win i can't remember what they're called but you're playing all these things and you've got this assassin the assassin comes in and they kill that person and then they go well i can't do that because i got this card which has to do that it's a lot of chaos like that but it's so much fun everybody i played it with absolutely loved it and i will say if i was going to choose production or artwork this has by far the best artwork of the year in it absolutely night of the ninja was just so much fun and for a big group of people and it plays super quick and it's super easy to understand oh, i thought it was absolutely great and definitely went under the radar would you would you say that you need to know people and need to have the right people around the table i would say that that would help yes uh, designed by justin gary as well and uh, you know justin gary big name it does look good so I'm a bit surprised. I'm not sure why this didn't make sort of more of a splash. I was I was unaware of it as well. I think I spent 2021 asleep. Oh, <laughs> I have to reassess my year. I think we both did. I think <laughs> I, I went through the list and there's so many 21, 21 games that either by choice or just didn't get my hands on. I think having the opportunity to play the games. It's like Night of the Ninja. When have we been around enough people to play that game? You know what I mean? It's just not happened. Shaman's, again, another big game with lots of people. Karuka's one of those games you'd play at a convention. You know, a lot of these. And my last one, which is Doodle Dash, which is my biggest hidden gem of the year, which is also, I would have, my biggest surprise hit of the year. There's no way I'd ever have guessed I'd like this game. In fact, I remember before I started playing it, I was like, okay, we'll play Doodle Dash. It's by Chili Fox Games. Essentially, Doodle Dash is the fun bit of Telestrations without all the garbage of Telestrations. It's you just got to draw something as quick as possible. And, you, and if you do, you get to grab this thing. You get points for it and you get points for people guessing. But you're drawing as quick as possible to be the person who grabs this thing first in the middle of the table. And you think during that brief time that your drawing is good. And then once you've actually grabbed the thing, which means you've won that round for to earn points later on, you look at your drawing and you think, oh, I probably should have spent an extra six seconds on this because it is absolutely awful. And it just has concentrated all the fun of Telestrations into a much quicker, breezier, and frankly, much better game. And it's just really fun. If I was going to play a game that was like this, a quick, speedy drawing type of game, and there's quite a few out there, this is by far the one I would choose to play. I've played this one. I loved it. It is a lot of fun. We had tons of fun with it. I would, I'm would. i going to say it's like Pictomania that you can explain to your family. Yeah, that makes sense. It's so easy. Yeah, yeah. Not like, what points for what? Why, do, why, has he, why has he got stars? What's going on? No, this one is so simple. So the guesser looks at what first picture first, the person who grabbed it, and if they guess it, the drawer gets points. Then the second person grabs something, they get to look at both those pictures, and if they guess it, that person gets points, and then they get to look at all the pictures. And if the first and the second have been completely rubbish, then everyone gets points as long as they guess and it. And there's some frantic dice rolling that goes into this one as well, which is like the t the timer. <sighs> when the second one grabs, the, the then the dice starts getting rolled, right? Yeah, and then everyone has everyone has that amount of time to roll this certain side of the dice to, to finish their drawings. It was just so much fun and those are my top five hidden gems of the year beautiful food for thought sean speaking of food sean <laughs> it will come as no 
a shock to anybody that I want to talk about production and artwork in games. And I've got a very quick top seven. And I made a seven because <laughs> I wanted to crowbar a couple in that yeah, maybe people look look over. And the first one, it's a funny one, it's so clover. I just feel like it's so well put together. It is. With the, the little trays that hold your cards and the pens that work really well on the trays and they wipe off nicely. And then when you turn it upside down so nobody can see it, it's slightly raised off the table so it doesn't smudge. I just thought it was a really good compact production. That's so clever, Repos Productions. I agree with that one. That's a good, that's a good call. That might come up later on. That was quite a thoughtful call. There you go. <laughs> it goes downhill from there. So, <laughs> uh, the next one is garbage. Great Western <laughs> garbage. Right. I am right. Yeah. It's garbage. <laughs> <laughs> Shut it, Jude. You got no taste. Seconded. <laughs> Great Western Trail Second Edition. So all the complaints from the first edition, the creepy cowboys on the front with the same face, and the trays that if you dropped the table at all your dobbers went everywhere and just the artwork on the board all improved works now and it's got two layer player boards and it just it just made a, a much better production of a brilliant game a fantastic game <laughs> well let's hope number five is better carry on <laughs> oh number five is a shocking game it's a terrible game but it was gorgeous production it's dive from sit down now, Dive is a shockingly bad game where it's got these clear perspex screens that you stack upon each other and it looks like water and there's all different animals and sea creatures under the under there and you've got to work out how far down each of them is and it's just the worst game, but it's so pretty and it looks gorgeous on the table and it's a really good production. Everything does what it's supposed to do. It's just a terrible game. I heard Dive was bad, but then I remember that it was because, Sean, you told me that Ronan hated it. <laughs> Ronan's never played it. Oh, have you not? You hated it then. <laughs> I hated it. Yeah, I think it was I, just because you told it. me that you hated it. Yeah, I bought it on a, on a whim because it looked so lovely. And I think it was Suzanne from the Dice Tower that uh, I saw playing it. And I thought, that looks amazing. And I was on holiday in Oxford, saw it in Thirsty Meeples, thought, Dyke, I'll have some of that. It was awful. Anyway, another game that wasn't great, and it came very close to my top disappointments, was The Great Wall. But my word, it looked good. It was such a great production from Awakened Realms. It looked amazing on the table. The reason it's only number four in the production and artwork is that you had to always construct the walls from scratch every single game and they wore down and it was just a pain in the bum to do it. But otherwise it was such a good production and a lovely game to look at. The game itself was a bit it was a bit overwrought. There was too much going on and too much repetitiveness going on and yeah, Matthew played it with us and we had to quit after like a third of the game because it was taking too long but it just missed my best disappointments because gosh does it look good and is it long and boring <laughs> i was adjacent to an eight hour game of it that, that didn't sell it to me eight hour mm, no yeah mm, i was Jesus. like mm, no i'm good for that but yeah. some people absolutely adore it some people love it and it's their game of the year they said they've had a good time they also said, but we've had to play in a particular way to make the game work. Yeah. 
it wasn't good. The rule book was not good either. I remember that in our play that we were like, what? But how does this work with this interaction? And this isn't quite yeah. clear. There were some big issues with the rule book as well. I started off saying that Wake and Realms are such a good company because of their production. And then I read the rule book and I realized, ah, they've still got a little bit of work to do. Anyway, moving on. Mm. My number three in this list is Canvas. A uh, fairly obvious choice. It looks stunning. Again, Perspex, little cards that you overlay to make works of art. It just all looks great. The production was lovely, lovely wooden components, and just really nice to make your own little paintings and present them at the end. And yeah, Canvas, a lovely looking game. Yeah, yeah, certainly very popular. Yeah. Cool, cool, cool. Number two in my list is. Well, it's always going to be there somewhere. Sleeping Gods, Red Raven, Ryan Laukert's artwork. Just uh, what a lovely production. Really easy to get to the table. Really easy to, to dive in and get playing. And uh, it, anything with his artwork is always going to catch my eye. Yeah, fantastic production. I had Sleeping Gods. Did you get it for me? I did, did get it for you. Yeah. Yeah, it was a fantastic production. I agree with you on that. <laughs> I think that's where we—that's where our roads don't go apart. Ah, uh, it's in the top twenty because we're going to run down through the BG top twenty right at the very end and give little comments if we've got any. Oh, that's a good idea. I got some. And number number one is a really divisive one because some people think it look ugly, and I think I started off thinking I'm not sure about this, but I grew to love it. It's Descent: Legends of the Dark. I grew to really like the artwork and it's just the production and the, the table presence where you just got this sprawling map of 3D furniture and stairs and caverns and doors and it just looks wonderful. The app works really well and I just think it's a lovely production. People do have their problems with it as a game, but uh, so far I'm enjoying it. But as a production, I think it's fantastic. I just don't. For for £3,000 or whatever the retail tax is, <laughs> I would want that to be. $3 I mean, million. Dollars. <laughs> Not far off it. But that is, I think, worthy. If you like that last night, you can look at it and go, that's amazing. It, and produ production values are through the roof. There we have it. And on to Ronan's top whatever he wants to do. Well, I'm going to start with a question. How many reprints or second editions or third editions or fourth editions do you think there usually are in a top 100? I went back over five years of data. In the top 100 on BGG? Top 100 BGG for a year, for each individual year, how many of them do you think would be Ten. re editions? How many, Matthew? Ten. Sean? Fifteen. Twenty, usually, which is a bit high. Ooh. Last year, 2021, out of the top 100 games, how many? Or reprints or second editions. Forty. I'm going to guess that it's quite high because you're, <laughs> I think because you're mentioning high. it. So. <laughs> I do think it's massively. Thirty-eight. Thirty-one. That's, that's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot, but it's understandable that companies would go back to lines that have made money for them. The second thing before I just do what I'm actually going to do, which is my top four reprints, because I didn't really want to put them in my top ten because it didn't seem very fair, was. It's strangely difficult to decide what's a second edition or a reprint. Now, that might sound weird, but I'm going to give you an obvious example. Successors, fourth edition, which doesn't change the rules that much from first edition, is clearly a reprint. We can agree on that, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So if it says something edition, then it is definitely a remake of, of an earlier game. What about Arkham Horror, third edition? Huh. Ooh. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, it's a reprint. It's a, it's a new edition. 
But it's a it's a reprint. No, yeah. I don't think it's it a reprint. complete change of rules. Yeah, it's a completely yeah. different game. Well, not completely. It's obviously following the same subject matter, and there are similarities. But yeah, the mechanisms in it are very different. Nah, disagree. <laughs> what about unfathomable? It's BSG, but with a Cthulhu theme. That's a reskinning. So, would you put it in as a reprint or second edition? Yeah, within it's a this reprint. sort of yeah, it's a reprint. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think I would. So you wouldn't put Arkhamora third edition, but you see I'm, what I'm trying to get at is it was quite hard to actually. See, I've been consistent with my answers. That's all that matters. Also, get ready for my number one game of the year. That's all I'll say. Yeah. Well. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna go quickly, very quickly through the the ones that I pulled out as reprint stuff, and then tell you my top four very quickly as well. We had Tinner's Trail. We had Disney Villainous. We've had a Disney Villainous in the top hundred for the last I think four years. <laughs> Steampunk Radio Fusion. Two versions of Railroad Inc. Burger Brothers 2, Horrified American Monsters, King Domino Origins, Chronicles of Crime 1900, World of Warcraft The Pandemic 1, Pax Renaissance 2, Galaxy Trucker, Dom Species Marine, Seven Wonders Architects, Zombicide Second Edition, Red Rising, Micro Macro the Second One, Cartographer's Heroes, Unfathomable, Summon of Wars 2. That's a lot of reprints. Okay, my top Is Red four. Rising a reprint? Isn't it just a complete reskin of uh, Thingy Majobby? Fantasy realms. No, no, it's it was it was inspired by that mechanism, but it's not. It's a it's a much more. It's a very different game, but it certainly was. And they said at the time it was inspired by fantasy realms. I would agree. Okay, let's say thirty for the year then. Okay, <laughs> to, to get these checked before we go on it. <laughs> My number four was Azul Queen's Garden. Again, is it? It's an Azul game, but it's got similarities to Azul. It's you're drafting tiles. You're limited, but it's different mechanisms. Is it? Does it go in here? It's funny. I none don't... of these sequels to Azul have been as good as Azul. <laughs> Correct, but this is my favourite one. Of the oh, sequels. is it really? There's a new one. Yeah, there's a new one coming. Uh, it's in Chocolateers or something. Yeah, I'm right? looking. I'm looking into that one for sure. Which is confusing See? because they actually did make a chocolate version of the original Azul, which was literally made out of chocolate. Time is just a loop, Matthew. We're just so technically it's a reprint, I guess. <laughs> Would it not help if they just said? An Azul game, Queen's Gambit, an Azul game. That puts it in the line, but it doesn't say it doesn't necessarily look like a, a a reprint or Queen's an Gambit and Azul game would be incredible. But I, yeah, <laughs> it would sell two hundred thousand less copies. Queen's Garden, though, I keep saying Queen's Gambit. Queen's Garden, I don't think it is a, a reprint or a rehash. Well, I put it in my top four, so it has to be. Oh, must be now. Sorry. I will say that I do think that what companies are doing, and this certainly goes to what Ronan is saying, I think a lot of companies have realised that they've probably had some bad times because of the world, and they've thought, what is the safest thing that we can make right now that's probably going to sell? And so King Domino made King Domino Origins, and there's another Azul game and reprints of games, and I really feel that people are just playing it as safe as possible right now which i can totally understand does that make for an exciting year of board games only if the game that you really wanted to get reprinted got reprinted but that's about it right <laughs> i will say that actually i i do feel a bit bad about saying it's not the best year the fact that we got any games in 2021 absolutely and we had the ability to play them was fantastic so i didn't want that to sound like a moan like if you step back and took all the other factors out i don't think it's the strongest year Oh my god, it must have been hard to get games playtested and made and all the rest of it. So I am very thankful that any games came out. I really should have emphasised that point. I don't want to sound mealy-mouthed. Okay, quickly, number three. This is like a hazy three because I've only played it a couple of times and I'm getting ready to review it soon. It's Waste Nights 2nd Edition. 
post-apocalypse in Australia. Very, very, very narrative-driven. Almost a choose-your-own-adventure with some rules. I'm out. <laughs> I don't want to read your book. I want to play a game. <laughs> yeah, I can't defend it. You, you, the, all the key points come from a book. <laughs> I'm enjoying that at the moment. We'll see how the, the next couple of plays, whether it firms up. Number two is the sequel to the awesome Sprawlopolis, Agropolis, which is a very similar game, but adds another layer of animals within the landscape. So you have to think even harder. I don't always want to play it because it's actually like quite stressful compared to Sprawlopolis, but it's a fabulous, fabulous game. This would have been right at the top of my top ten if I'd allowed reprints to go in there. It's a great game. It is a good game. I like it a lot. Still not a, a reprint. It's a it's a follow on, the sequel. It's very similar. It's it's literally the same game with one extra thing. Yeah, it's the same game with an expansion essentially. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think it was close enough. And we've already mentioned it. It would have been my number one for the year. I'm, maybe someone else's. I don't know. We haven't looked at each other's top tens. But Crew Mission Deep Sea, 180 plays in, <laughs> is fabulous. I had to mention it somewhere. That is probably the reason why I did a top reprint because I didn't want to put Crew as my number one for another year, but I wanted to mention how amazing that game is. That gets mentioned later on. <laughs> well, we know Jude <laughs> absolutely salivates over it. So I'll tell you right now, I think the Crew Mission Deep Sea is the best game ever made. So let me guess where that comes on my list. <laughs> it's going to be in his top ten, Sean. I don't know where. <laughs> could be, could be anywhere. <laughs> He's holding it back a little bit for us. Well done. <laughs> right, we're going to move on now. You might want to turn the volume down in your in your AirPods or when you speak or wherever you are because we're about to get into rant zone and no man is more qualified for a board game rant than the one and only Mr. Matthew Jude, your number three biggest disappointment of 2021. When you look at the box, you think, wow, Imperium looks nice, doesn't it? And then you look <laughs> in the rule book and you think... What the hell is this garbage? <laughs> 6,000 keywords, a deck builder, almost unplayable. <laughs> well, it was short, but it was vehement short. Wasn't it just? I, I tend to agree with him. I found it very hard to get on with it and get into it. Uh, to the point where you now have my copy, Roman. So how do you feel about it? <laughs> well, this is like spoiler episode for next episode because I'm going to review that next episode as well. I say it's not in my biggest disappointments. I did not find it as hard to learn as Matthew apparently did or you did, and, but I was prepared for it. I knew that people said the rule book is is it doesn't teach you how to play the game. It just gives you a framework, and you have to learn how to play each individual deck, and that is frustrating. The first game is a headache, and that is true. It's a very hard entry into the game, but once you get that flow of it, once you're three or four games in, it actually becomes quite quick and repetitive. That is not so, good enough in 2021. That's just I not good enough. I agree. They should have chosen starter decks and taught the game via those... Like, just take these two nations, play with those two nations... That's how you play our game. That's how you score points. It doesn't teach you how to score points or how to win. Because you no idea of what the arc of the game is, how quickly it will finish, what you should be doing. And that's the big fault in that rule book. You feel lost. You start doing stuff going, I'm just doing stuff. I think that um, for me, in the last few years, Osprey have gone from a company that I thought were doing an awful lot right 
to a company have just, in, in some key ways, have just fallen off a cliff a little bit for me. Their games always are a little bit broken or a bit hard to learn, and this, they've made a, an awful lot of goofs lately for, for me. Exactly the same without the it's a fall-off. They've just always been like that for me. <laughs> I think they've got some great games, but I will say Definitely. with Imperium, yeah. I was just so excited for this game, and I thought, oh, this is going to be so much fun, so interesting. But I felt like if you gonna if you want to play this, you're better off playing empires of the north or imperial settlers or something like that and that's the gut you're going to get a similar type of feel from from those games and those games are, f- are good for they have a nice barrier hey, hey wash your wash your mouth out jude they're shocking. Yeah, I don't like I don't like those games either. But <laughs> but they do a similar thing and they have a much lower barrier to entry. I spoke to Sean about this game last week and I mentioned exactly the same thing. It gives me a very similar feel to those games without being mechanically very similar. Anyway, that's my number 3 biggest disappointment of the year. Well, cool, right. So, my number 3 and I'm getting ready for a massive dollop of I told you so from Ronan. Because he, he sniggered when I told him the premise for this game, and he was right. It's Irune from Arcada Studios. Now, Irune is a dungeon crawler that came with an app that you were supposed to be able to talk to. And you were supposed to be able to basically say, the wizard explores the chest in the room. And then the, the, the app was supposed to bounce back and go, the wizard opens the chest and finds a wonderful gold crown, but there's a trap! And then you roll your dice and you get on and you do it. Obviously, the app wasn't very good. <laughs> I'd be there screaming, The wizard opens the trap! Did you say the warrior had a crap? No! <laughs> and I, I, I wrote to them and they said, Oh yeah, well, basically they were getting people who had owned the game to do their testing for them. And then people were sending in all the faults they find, and then they'd start fixing them. Like, no. Uh, I managed to sell it at UK Games Expo. <laughs> I think I may, have sell- I may have sold it to a friend of ours called Tom. Tom! Sorry, Tom. Yeah, that's all I've got to say. <laughs> it sounds awful. It just sounds awful. <laughs> from, from concept through to delivery, it sounds awful. But what really makes me laugh is you look at the comment section of PGG and anyone who's bothered to play it, like three or four events in, says, yeah, 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 those are problems. And also it's a crap game. <laughs> I didn't get to that point. I couldn't get into the corridor of the first dungeon. <laughs> <laughs> right. My number three is a game that has appeared in many top ten lists of the year, and I am absolutely baffled why people want to pick up 48,000 dice, roll them, and do a crap racing game on a limited map of Cubitos. Mm. It's about the dullest thing I've played in a long time, while still making me fiddle. It, you're supposed to be customising a dice pool which gives you certain movements, and then you have different setups, similar to Automobile's old AG, older AG game, whereby the same colour dice will do different things in different setups because you can swap over the cards of what their special powers it's are. It's Quacks Quidlinburg's The Racing Game, right? But so much worse. Because there's just for every setup, there are two paths. You're doing this, so you're buying those dice, or this, and you're buying those dice. And you're going to start really, really slow, and then you're going to be really, really fast by the end of it. And whoever plays the last two turns best is going to win. And the map is incredibly dull. 
the maps are incredibly dull. And I gave it a couple of goes. And it was... I mean, sometimes we talk about disappointments and say, not necessarily terrible games. I actually think this is a pretty bad game, as well as being a disappointment, because of all the positive feedback I got about it. And I bounced off Cubitos very, very, very hard. I just didn't enjoy any bit of it. I hate the quacks of Quidlinburg. So this game doesn't sound like it'll be fun from start to finish at all. One of my things I hate most about games is when the last two turns make everything else that you've done before pointless. You know what I mean? It's so unsatisfying. So yeah, this sounds like not fun. I had very, very high hopes for this game going into, and it looked amazing. And yeah, I'll leave it there. <laughs> it's coming up later. Brilliant. <laughs> Sean, you're number two. <laughs> My number two biggest disappointment in the year of 2021 is Rocket Men from Phalanx. It's a, it's a Mind Wallace game. And that's why I backed it on Kickstarter. I was very excited. Quite a low price point as well. But So did I. I yep. backed it too. Yep. My God, it was boring. It was so repetitive. There was hardly any variety in the cards. So you were just getting out the same cards or the same type of card over and over and over again. And as the rounds went on, yeah, you might get a slightly stronger version of the same card, but it's very boring. You have to play in a certain way. So it pushes you in a certain direction you'll find that money's very tight in the game, and if you don't really look after your money for the latter rounds, the people who did will just run ahead of you because they'll get all the best super cards towards the end. And after all that, you've worked hard to launch, and it's a luck mechanism in the launching. You turn over cards, and if you turn over the wrong card, unless you've really, really pushed it to the point where you can't fail, you could just have that bad luck in the launch and turn over the wrong card, your whole launch is scuppered, and you've got to go again. I just didn't like it at all. That sounds really fun. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you, I'm sure Ronan's still got his copy. I, I don't. Seen him I, sell no, it I'm, yet. I'm fine, thank you. I think I'm. Okay. <laughs> I, th- I think I launched it. <laughs> I think I actually said, "Be free, return to all." <laughs> <laughs> but did you turn over the right card so that the launch went well? <laughs> oh, I, I was very determined to launch it. Um, I don't honestly know where it is. It, it was in my like next to be played pile for quite a long time, and then every time Sean mentioned it, it just slipped further and further down. Until now, I think it's like gone down the cracks into the sewer. And <laughs> and I just, yeah, you really put me off it. And then obviously I went and looked on BGG, and so many people moaning about it, saying after half an hour when you be won, and it took two hours to finish. Or we, there's no mitigation of that, like a launching. And so many fundamental complaints that I'm like, oh, my enthusiasm is very, very limited. It's, I'm sorry, we say it all the time, Martin Wallace not playtesting his games properly. I'm waiting for the expansion for Anno 1800 to play it again so that it can be fixed. Because he's just the, the, his games aren't getting playtested properly. Simple as that. Well, the same problem right. happened with Australia. There was just like ways that. that you could. There are ways <laughs> in that game that you can just soft lock yourself out of getting any points for the whole game. Frankly, yeah, I still liked it. Yeah. <laughs> okay, my number two has got a slightly higher rating than the other games, but I was super excited for it. Hence, its place on this list, and it is the initiative, which was the first game launched by Corey Kanetska, who is. From our nascent days as gamers, a huge name in design and FFG and yeah. dramatic gaming. 
unexpected games. He's got his own publisher now. He's away. He can do whatever he wants. And I was looking for something special. I bought it to go away on holiday with the family. We all agreed to play it. It was this idea that you are kids in a comic and there's a mystery and you as you go through you learn more about your own character within these kids and learn more about what's going on and there's a sense of growing threat and danger and is there a traitor among us and trying to break down and what it turned out to be is a boring mathematical repetitive spatial puzzle in which you're solving a very simple word clue or or a code of some kind Okay, partially my fault. I was loading weight of expectation because Corey Knitzka, what can he do when he has no one else to limit his incredible brain? No one else reining him in from all these wacky ideas? (laughs) (laughs) Turns out his wacky ideas were to play a really formulaic, boring, repetitive spatial puzzle, which you could just map out and go, you do that, you do that, I'll go there, do that. Tiny amount of hidden information which you could always mitigate against, and then a really easy finale to each one. We got a few games into it and gave up, and it was just a. It was one of those. I thought it was going to sort of enhance our holiday, and it really didn't. It dragged us down. Another game from my top ten ended up being the game we played much more on holiday, and everyone enjoyed that. So, uh, would it have been good for a younger audience, like a bunch of like teens playing it? Would that have been possibly what it was aiming for? We had a fifteen-year-old and an eighteen-year-old. I know that's not young, but. They, they were not interested at all because the puzzle wasn't interesting enough. Oh, okay. It was very mathy. You can move five and then go there and use your special power to do those ones. I'll come to this corner of the board. You go to that corner of the board. And we all just had our roles and just ran through them. Nothing I expected happened. There's, there's no story moments within the game. There's story between games. And when you're playing, it's just a puzzle. Fun. Yeah. It's, it, Fun. No. 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 All right. Well... My um, second biggest disappointment is a Phil Walker-Harding game. And it's not a game that I thought was bad. It's not a game I think isn't fun. It was just disappointing to me. And that's Llama Land. Llama Land looks lovely. And I was so excited about it. And I thought, this will be so much fun. And I really loved Gingerbread House, which is kind of the prequel to Llama Land. It's in the same kind of spiritual series of games i feel like just play gingerbread house it's infinitely better in llama land you're building up these polyomino tiles and you're building up different areas and you're putting llamas out and what you cover up are the resources you get and you there's goals to go for and you want to have a llama in this size field and a llama in this side field it's very cute and i thought oh i could get people to play this this would be a great game to introduce people into board games and it just fell really flat and after playing it, I thought this is a game that I'm sure people will enjoy, but it's certainly not a game I need to play ever again. I don't want to say it's a bad game. I don't want to say that it's not for anyone, but for me personally, I just expected more, and I'm just going to play Gingerbread House instead. I think the other day we were talking about Gingerbread House, weren't we, Matthew? It's a um, lovely game. You, saying you thought it was a really good game. Uh, I didn't really know much about Llama Land, so uh, I, w- I wasn't sure about Gingerbread Man, but you've talked me into that one. This one, mm, probably not for me. I've heard about it that it can be a bit loose. There's this too many tiles and it goes on too long, so you can usually do what you want to yeah, do. Yeah, you're going you're gonna to pretty much get done everything that you want to get done. So there's no tension in the game. 
So the one fix that I've seen, and I know we shouldn't have to fix games, is just to take some tiles out of the game and it becomes slightly more cutthroat and a bit more pressure on what you're trying to do. Maybe would it help? Yeah, I could see that. No, I could see that. Absolutely. But again, when Gingerbread House exists, just play that one. It does very similar things. You're covering up tiles, building up your little house, and it's just more fun. Just way more fun. Is your username a BGG Bogorona by any chance? It isn't, unfortunately. Because their succinct comment on this is prefer gingerbread house. Yeah, I think that's lots of people's comment on that game. <laughs> Tick. Right. My number one. Sean, what is my number one game of all time? Your number one game of all time? Oh, I know yes. you're going to say Dominant Species Marine. <laughs> well, that's not my number one game of all time, is it? <laughs> Okay, your number one is Dominant Species. <laughs> <laughs> it is my number one disappointment of 2021. Because if you're going to bring out a sequel to my favourite game of all time, I'm going to have high expectations. That just goes with the territory. If what you do with that sequel is take all the bad bits of my favourite game of all time and multiply them and ignore all the good bits called strategy and just add on all the bullshit we're gonna end up with a terrible game which is what we've got no change in dominant species marine was for the better it was like an incremental way of going how do we get this bit and make it worse we will not have player rounds anymore why is that so important because there's a food chain mechanism in dominant species and if my animal is higher on the food chain than yours i win every single tie between us how's that mitigated dominant species you get to go ahead of me every round unless i work to get ahead of you how's it mitigated dominant species marine it isn't yay <laughs> dominant species there's very powerful cards in there when they come out you look at them and you go oh these cards are out they could really screw certain people you have a round structure so that people get to choose their actions before those cards trigger. What do they put in Dumb Species Marine? Crazy powers that screw people over, coincidentally, on the flip off a card. You don't even have to play the card. It flips and the map gets screwed. You're going from having some kind of strategy to being, what is this game going to do to me? It's, I got PTSD. You just sit there a shivering wreck. I don't want to put cubes out because I don't know how they're going to get taken off the board. The game is going to kill me. Like, all you people are trying to kill me. That's dominant species. That's funny. We can point at each other and laugh and go, well, you need to balance this. We can't all kill Sean because, you know, like, then we're going to let someone else win. Dominant species marine hates you. It doesn't want you to have fun. It doesn't want you to be able to do anything. It just wants you to go in a constant, non-art cycle of frigging misery. Where the yeah, game but is, is punching it quicker? you in the face. Is it face? quicker to play? That's all I no! care about. Well then, that's pointless. That's the thing. <laughs> that's the only thing I needed. I just needed Dominant Species, but a slightly quicker game. That's all I really needed. Now, some people might say it's quicker than Dominant Species, right? It's still it's a listed play time of two and a half hours. So, you know, I will get Dominant Species done in two and a half hours with my friends that know it. And I know that's not every group, but we will. So, it doesn't add anything. It, it's just, you're just disappearing with no control that you're disappearing going, but I had a plan. It changes the way that tiles score. So, you, you know, like Dominant Species, you can go like, oh, those are the most valuable tiles. I can decide whether to fight over them or go, do you know what? No one's fighting over these medium score tiles, so I'm going to go over here and see if I can get away with this. And I'm like, hopefully someone might volcano that high value one over there and I might get away with like being second place here and there. 
I don't know what's going to score. I don't know when it's going to score. I don't know how it's going to score. Oh, it's a flip garbage. of a card, everyone. La, 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 la. Sounds like you want the moon on a stick. You just you just wanted them in the species again, but with fishies and things. I would rather take puffer fish and attach them to my genitals than play this game again. We've done that. Before, There's only one way so. to find out, though, isn't there? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> I've done it. I liked it. That was a slight fake out. Who's next? <laughs> All right. Now here's the thing. It's not a bad game. <laughs> is it, it's it's, just... I know. I know exactly what it is, Jude. You're going to upset me now, aren't you? Well, I won't say. It's not a bad game, but is it the fourth best game of all time? No. Ark Nova is just a good game. That's about it. I wanted it to be this amazing thing, and I enjoyed my play of it, but Ark Nova is just fine. It's not going to be my first pick of a game to play because it's too long. It's got too much random card draw in it, which is the same problem that it had from Terraforming Mars, which, let's face it, this hang is on, the sequel hang on, to Terraforming Hang on, Did Mars. you not get this in a trade after playing it? Yeah, it's a good game. It's a good <laughs> game. But it's not the fourth best game of all time, and I certainly wasn't going to pay money for it, so I got it in a maths trade off Rona. Yeah, field, field of the Cloth of Gold. Sean's supposed to be bringing it to you, by the way. I know, that's fine. But Beautiful. Carry on. You every math trade, Ooh. Matthew. Every math trade just needed my games. It's great. <laughs> but Ark Nova, it, I'm not. I'm, again, it's not a bad game. It's just I was j- just a bit disappointed because it didn't, frankly, and fair or not fair, it didn't live up to the hype. It's not that good. Could any game live up to that hype? That's fair. But this is the list of my biggest disappointments. Yeah, I get. I get. It's definitely not the. It shouldn't be in the top ten or. or... Top 20, in my opinion. but It's the fourth best game of all time? Please. No, it's not, is it? Well, I saw Brass Birmingham is number two. When did that happen? How? That's pure... That's a good game, but where did it get to number two? It's, it's a good game. Nope. It's better it's than Art Nova. Art Nova is fine. Exactly what Matthew said. As long as you do the extended hand size. Reduced hand size, it's a load of turd. And Matthew, Terraforming Mars, you've got to draft the cards. You've got to draft the... It's yeah, the yeah, yeah. You have game. to draft cards in Terraforming Mars. And I will say, we'll talk about that in a bit, a bit later on. But it's just that this struggles with the card draw. This expansion that's coming out is trying to fix a few of those problems. It, the expansion is going to be adding different player powers but we've seen that whole mechanism before with that with the with the actions but there's different ones in the expansion there's a new thing that you can do to draw more cards but arc nova is fun when you have the cards to build the combos and if you don't have the cards to build the combos and jim plane gets lucky and draws the next thing that they need you get to sit there and watch your opponents have fun playing a game and you aren't having fun playing the game because you didn't do well with the look of the draw in about 120, 130 cards, however many cards it is, and you go, well, it changes strategy. It's like, yeah, but I already spent the first two turns trying to do the one strategy. So I'm way behind. It's just, it's fun, and I like it, and it, when it's working well, it works really well. A lot of people love this game, and I understand why, but it's just a good game. It's not one of the best games of all time. Matthew speaks the truth, but... I need to add a uh, disappointment of 2021, number one and a half for me. Matthew didn't have a massive rant for his number one biggest disappointment of 2021, and that's disappointed me. <laughs> Sean, are we ranting? 
Ah, I think you've stolen my thunder because my number one is Cubitos from AEG. <laughs> As you said, Ronan, really slow to get going. The dice powers aren't particularly interesting. The maps aren't particularly interesting. There's a lot of random, which, okay, if everything else was cool, I'd accept because it's a dice game. But the best thing I can say about this is it finished a lot quicker than I thought it was going <laughs> to. And I was able to get away from it. This game from the outset looked like something that I would be all over. I thought, oh my yeah. God, this looks amazing. Lovely, colourful game. There's going to be lots of interaction. You're rolling dice, having a laugh, and it's just so boring. Even the production, those boxes are so fiddly to get the dice in and out of it. Ah, whatever. Yeah. Kibitos is a massive disappointment. And I just don't, I see people talking about it and like, oh, what a great game Kibitos is. And I'm just thinking, what? Are we playing a different game? Because I just think it's awful. There you go. Number one is Kibitos. It's a good choice. It was very disappointing. <laughs> <laughs> right, from the most disappointing to the most marvellous. And we're going to fire into our top 10 of 2021. And leading us off is our esteemed guest, Mr. Matthew Jude. Number 10 game of 2021, please. My number 10 is being mentioned before, and that is So Clover. I think this game is just wonderful. It took me so much by surprise when I played it for the first time at PAX Unplugged. And we sat down, and I love the little clovers, exactly what Sean was saying. The production really does amplify the fun of this game. And it's just a cooperative, fun puzzle. And it's so satisfying to come up with the clues. It's satisfying to find out what other people have done and no one needs to keep score in the game because really it's just fun to play there's no point keeping score it's like lots of these games i feel that way but so clover it's just the word game guessing game of choice for me at this point i just thought it was so much fun so clover matthew yeah it's all right yeah <laughs> it's coming up mate. <laughs> it's a fine fine game sean you're number 10 my number 10 is a very flawed production of a game. It's Stroganov from Game Brewer. Lots mm. of issues with it. Rulebook problems, component problems, but I think in there is hidden a lovely, really gripping game. You've got a push-your-luck aspect. You've got point salad. You're collecting things. You're trying to beat the people to it. It's very interactive. Game Brewer just needed to add a little bit of spit and polish to just to bring it up to standard. And I think it would have hit hard and I think a lot more people would be talking about it. That's interesting because Tom Vassell rated it low because he said it induces AP. Do you have any thoughts on that? <laughs> yes, I do. I have a few thoughts. AP in a game is not the problem of the game. It's a person problem. If you've got AP... Don't play that game. That game's not for you. <laughs> Don't diss it because it made you think too hard. I agree with that. It's not the game's fault for having lots it really of isn't. options. What's the, opposite? What's the opposite of AP? It's like, oh, there was one thing to pick and that was the obvious choice. Well, that's not a very good game either. So no, I'd rather take yeah. AP over and no interesting choices. The opposite of AP is Cubitos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> My number 10 game heavily influenced by the fact it cost me £4, is from Postmark Games, which has been kicked off by Matthew Dunstan and Rory Muldoon, and they are kickstarting games that have no physical components, and you just get files from a Dropbox link, and you print them out, and they've been rolling right games so far, and Voyages 
is the first one they did. It's come out with five maps so far. In the first map, you start off and you, you are a ship and you roll three dice. You choose the direction how far you go. Maybe two dice. You choose the direction how far you go. And then if you manage to land exactly in a hex on the board, there are various outcomes you can collect resources which then you can take to an island to trade you can build up your fortify your sailors in order to take on the big dread and score loads of points you can try and go to various areas around the map which will score you points for exploring so it's a little bit point salad it takes about 10 minutes to play four pounds will get you multiple maps and they continue to release maps it's very clever what they've done and it's a beautiful little idea to me a new way a different way of delivering gameplay to people and i have very much enjoyed my initial voyages so it's my number 10 game i'm all for it i think it's a great idea it's like magazine games coming back and i think it's i think it's a great idea yeah it's definitely the invoke thing i've just picked up something on kickstarter which cost me like nine dollars or something it's sunshine city and I'm looking forward to playing that. It's very similar. You just print off your pages and off you go. It looks good. So, yeah, the more the better. Which brings me into my number nine. My number nine is a family game that I kind of fell in love with. It's Adventure Tactics Domiane's Tower. Effectively, it's a skirmish game where you fight in lots of different skirmishes, but you're making your way across a map and a very vague story. The beauty in this is... You're just levelling up and you're getting more and more stuff every single round. Even if you do badly, you get something. And it's really like, who doesn't love levelling up? It's, it's just so, it's so much enjoyable. Right, okay, yes, yeah, so I've gone from a basic rogue. Now I'm a rogue bard and I've got a mandolin that I'm whacking people over the head with. Or I'm a, a cleric now or whatever. You, and it's just so much fun. And the, the skirmishing is is intuitive and it's fun and you, you can let the kids be the heroes and what have you so we just have an absolute blast with adventure tactics domiane's tower i've got nothing to say about the game but if you're raising your children to enjoy being a bard you are some kind of monster <laughs> I, I know why i don't know anything about this game is because it looks like it isn't for me also it's like 70 pounds it's it's a massive production because because of the leveling up there are so many cards, and each character can go in different, like okay. down different avenues, and it's there's a lot to it. All right, standees, but that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> oh, I like a standee. I like a standee like as well. I'm a big fan of standees. <laughs> yeah. My number nine has got a sequel coming out of Essen that I know Sean is sniffing out. So I wonder if this game will be in his top ten. I'm not convinced. It is from Kiesling and Kramer. It's Savannah Park. In Savannah Park, everyone has got a set of animal tiles and waterhole tiles, and you've got to link groups of animals to the waterholes while avoiding fires with certain tiles and stuff like that. And basically, on your turn, you choose the tile that everyone then has to put on their own board, the same tile, but you always end up with different patterns, and you're trying to mitigate against things getting pulled out that you don't want. And if you get into it a bit, you can be mean and look and see, oh, that, you'd have to know the game pretty well. I think if I pull that out now, they're just not ready for it, which can be quite funny. But as a, a gentle puzzle where it feels gentle when you start and then you start realising, oh, my God, I've screwed this so badly. And there are, there's three tiles I want to put in one space or I've cut off a load of points. And the whole dawning realisation that you've limited your own options down to bad, bad and worse. It's got a lovely, easy-to-play, hard-to-master feel to it. So my number nine game for the year was Savannah Park. 
I am waiting for Caldera Park, the sequel, definitely. I enjoyed the original, though. Savannah Park was fantastic. Yeah, Caldera Park's definitely on my to go and have a look at the list at Essen. But um, I, I very much enjoyed it. It's not in my top ten, but it was a consideration. Very much enjoyed my plays of Savannah Park and... It's one of those bingo-esque games where you're sort of one person pulls out something and you've all, you've got to react and then you've got to place that same thing. That uh, tiny towns did it, and to uh, was the Caesar game. Our Caesar was it? What was it called, Ronan? I got Rise of Augustus. Rise of Augustus. That's the fella, and they did. And I, I really enjoyed that type of game. And this one, I thought it took the strategy to the next level because you could, as Ron said, you could be quite mean to each other. And you could really study each other's boards. And yeah, really, a very surprisingly good game. I really enjoyed it, but not quite in my top ten. You'd want to either be really good mates or really bad enemies to screw <laughs> because it's frustrating enough as it is. I only thought it might be in top ten because you've put Caldera Park on that little SM list for us. So I was, I thought hmm, maybe. Anyway, it was, it was number n- number nine, please, Matthew. My number nine was also. Would have been it's one of my biggest surprise games of the year, and that is World of Warcraft: Wrath of the Lich King, which is the World of Warcraft pandemic. I absolutely loved this. It feels just like pandemic, but it also feels like you are these hero characters running around the board, fighting things, causing chain lightning and killing all these different the horde the scourging horde and the abominations and the idea that instead of curing the diseases you're going to these dungeons and you've got to get rid of all your cards the biggest thing in pandemic that's frustrating is that it never wants you to give up your cards right it wants you to you've got to hoard all these cards they're so useful you've got to keep this set of cards in this one you get cards all the time and you're just using them as much as possible to do fun combo tastic attacks on things it has all the fun of Pandemic in there, but it, I think, heightens it up. It's also got a wonderful production. I think it's got some really nice minis and stuff like that. I think it was absolutely great, and I was so surprised because I'm not a World of Warcraft fan, and this just absolutely blew me away. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, I, I never really saw this as something that I would really get into. I'm a bit of a late convert to Pandemic. I, I like it fine. I don't think it's the wonder that everyone else likes. I obviously like Pandemic Legacy. Yeah, I was never really into World of Warcraft, but people do go on about it. So I have heard other people talking about it. I haven't really. And I've kind of held back because I had no idea whether it was a decent version or not. And honestly, that one statement by you, Matthew, I've just put it on my Christmas list because I like Pandemic. And I used to play the old Warcraft games and I play World of Warcraft a little bit. And that sounded pretty cool. Sounded like a nice Christmas game. So it's just gone on my Christmas list. Thanks. It's great. It is my pandemic of choice at this point. There we go. Right. On to our number eight. Ronan, you're leading us off. I said that the initiative did not end up being the game of my summer holiday I was hoping for. But Sub Astral ended up being the surprise one for me. It is from Ben Penchback and Matt Riddle. It is themed around collecting biomes or something it is not really a theme but it's got a clever drafting mechanism whereby you're taking cards from different areas which means dictates how you're going to play cards down it's got a spatial scoring aspect meaning that the ones that you draft early you don't want to have many off you're looking to draft more of other ones at the end but it's very clear to see what other people can score big in and 
if other people aren't going for a certain biome, it might be worth trying to grab all of those for you, but you haven't got complete control over what you can draft. You have to kind of set yourself up a little bit. There's also a hand management aspect where you don't want to take too many cards into your hand because it's a quick game. And every turn wasted really does make a difference because the scoring is tight. But at the same time, it works as a relaxing, I'm getting the cards I want, very light on rules game that the family can play. So it's got different levels to it. And I think it's a very good effort. So my number eight game for 2021 is Sub Astral. I really want to play this one. I've heard nothing but good things, and I really do want to try it. I've heard it's got a Lost City vibe to it, which is what made me want to play it as well. Much less stressful than Lost City. Lost City is like, <laughs> For me, Sub Astral, I, I liked it, but it kind of it didn't inspire me. I don't know if that's a two-player problem. Oh, definitely. Yeah. definitely. You want the more players, the better. Unusually, okay, more players, cool. the better in Subastral. There you go. Yeah. So you didn't quite work two player for us. We liked it well enough. I think I gave it a six out of ten on BGG, but it, it didn't stay in the collection. I don't need to play Ark Nova. You might say, let's play Terraforming Mars instead. And I say, I'll one up you because my number eight is Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Now I didn't fall in line with Ronan with reprints and that type of thing and I'm, this might kind of have made it onto that list for Ronan but this is a streamlined card game quote unquote version of Terraforming Mars it's quick, it's all the good bits it's the opposite of what Ronan was saying about a game taking all the, the, the about dominant species, this takes all the good bits from Terraforming Mars and just gives you that and gets rid of all the other faff in a shorter time Easier to play, easier to teach. The action selection is fun. It's got that the San Juan kind of action selection and uses it really well. I thought this was just stellar. I really enjoyed it. I know Ronan wasn't the biggest fan, and we'll get to that. Um, but I, I lean towards you, yourself, Matthew, on this one. I, I did play it. I do own it. And yeah, for me, it's it's a transportable version of Terraforming Mars. Because at, at present, my version of Terraforming Mars is absolutely huge. I've got the big box, I've got the base box with other stuff in it, the where I've pimped the game out, and I just can't bring it anywhere. So Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition is absolutely spot on for that. Gives me a very similar feel with a much more transportable box. So yeah, I'm, I'm happy to have it in my collection. Go on, Ray. you rate this? No, no, I rate it as a good game. Oh, I thought you put it down in your review. I remember you not liking it so I much. said I can't understand anyone preferring it over Terraforming Mars. Because I can't. <laughs> same game whatsoever. It's it's a 60-minute... Uh, what I'm going to say is, okay, there's, there's two lenses to look at this game, if you like. There can be, you can look at it as a, an alternative to Terraforming Mars if you thought Terraforming Mars was a bit too heavy, a bit too faffy, didn't like the map play and stuff like that, which I can understand, but I disagree with. And I like the sort of the grindiness of some of Terraforming Mars and the intricacies. So it was a watered-down version of Terraforming Mars for me. If it wasn't called Terraforming Mars, it would not be compared to Terraforming Mars that much because it is much, much more akin to Race for the Galaxy mechanically. And it is a marriage of those two games and Race for the Galaxy is the stronger element within it. And to me, looking at it through that lens of Race for the Galaxy, it's an overly fussy Race for the Galaxy and a much inferior product to Race for the Galaxy. I hate Race for the Galaxy, so... You're entirely wrong. Okay, good. Let me teach you, Matthew. And <laughs> you are wrong, it. Trust me. You are wrong. I hate it. Hate it. You did, it did, I just... Look back to who taught you. 
because... and I hate Roll for the Galaxy and the no, Roll for the Galaxy is awful and roll the other the one awful. that they did that has all no, the, that was just awful as well just Rage for the Galaxy that plays in 20 to 25 minutes and you have a little plan or two or three plans and you follow through one of them and it works or doesn't that works for 20-25 minutes this is an overly fussy Race for the Galaxy or a watered-down Terraforming Mars. Now, it's versions of two very good games. So it is a good game within itself. I just think it's completely unnecessary and doesn't do anything for me that either of those two games do. Don't do. Well, do, just don't be, do. Just before my... I lost number. track of my negatives, Sean. I lost track of my <laughs> negatives. It's, it's there somewhere. Just before I say, I will just iterate that it does not replace Terraforming Mars in any way, shape, or form. I, I much prefer term, Terraforming Mars as a game. I got rid of my copy of Terraforming Mars. Oh, well, so. you're wrong. So, <laughs> nice to meet you. Anyway, moving on. My number eight is... It's another family game. It's a very silly game, and it's Catapult Feud, or Catapult Kingdoms, or whatever you want to call it, from Vesuvius Media. It's just flinging boulders across the table at each other's castles trying to knock them down and it's just a lot of silly fun and me and my son have an absolute ball playing it we're slinging abuse at each other we're trying to protect our characters or our knights and what have you in our castles and trying to trying to outdo the other one and it's just yeah just fun in a box and that's catapult feud sounds good beautiful Matthew you're up number seven please my number seven is Witchstone by the Doctor of Fun himself, Reiner Knizia. Witchstone is a... Well, let's say it's by Reiner Knizia. It was by a designer who had a game inspired by Reiner Knizia and then Reiner Knizia signed off on it and had his name quite big on the box. Let's be real. <laughs> but in it, you've got this action selection. Basically, you're flipping tiles and you're making this cauldron. And if you've ever played the game Ingenious, which is where Witchstone comes from, essentially, that's where you kind of like putting these two hexagons that are together onto a board and whatever you have connected to those hexagons, those actions, you get to multiply your action by how many it's connected to of the same sort. So eventually you're doing six of this action and three of this action, that type of stuff. And you're also going up a bunch of tracks. There's about five little mini games that are all tied together. And one thing gives you this, which gives you a bonus here, goes here, which means you've got an extra action now to do this. And that extra action gave you another action. It's the most combo-tastic, fun-filled time I can think of. And I just thought it was everything that I personally want from a Euro game. Loved it. I'm going to need a bit of poking to play this one. It just doesn't appeal to me at all. I wasn't like, I can see why people like it, stuff like Ingenious, but they're not for me. I don't enjoy that type of game. And this one, it doesn't look very good at all. So, Pink, yeah. pink, Sean. All the pink. <laughs> I know I'll end up playing it because I know Rona wants to get it played and he'll slap me about until I play it, but yeah, it doesn't look good. I'll bring it over. I'll bring it over. We'll play it together. Or I'll bring it over, or we'll both bring it over. Yeah, we'll play two games simultaneously. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, so this is, I would say, if they, we were going to do a list of most Marmite games of the year, Witchstone would be on there in general, because some people have bounced off it hard, and some people love it. It's been on top ten lists. It's been in worst five lists. So I don't know, having not played it yet, where it is. It just fell down my wish to play. I very much enjoy Ingenious. The look has genuinely put me off, and I, I try to pretend I'm not shadow, but I am a little bit. I don't desperate to get that look to the table. I read the rule book, and 
I think there might be, and this is a bit ridiculous, but the whole sort of Tom Clancy-esque, let's put a big designer's name on games is getting very cynical. Riley Clancy had nothing to do with designing this game. The other designer said, there's a bit of ingenious in this. Can we put Ryan Knitsch's name on it? And they went, yeah. Same as that Vital Lacerda alleged Mikado game. He had nothing to do with that. And there's plenty of other examples where when designers' names are now big enough that we try and use them to sell games that they had nothing to do with. So It works for me. Put Knitsch's name on the box and I'll buy it. That's probably... You know, yeah, worth <laughs> and that's why it happened and you're the problem, Matthew. Mm-hmm. Speaking of problems, Sean, you're number seven. My number seven is... Well, is it a roll and write or a... We don't know what it is. We couldn't possibly answer. <laughs> it's Hadrian's Wall from Garpill Games or Garfield Games, whoever. It's a game in where you've just got great economy going on, lots of resource juggling, but at the same time you're writing down everything on pieces of paper. So it's a space saver. It doesn't take over your table. Loads of combos in the game, but when you're playing with each other, you've got to trust. You've got to trust each other know that and know what you're doing. Because people just go off left, right, and centre, and so many combos going on. So far, all the strategies I've seen, and there are lots of paths to follow, they all seem fairly balanced and they're all going to get you points at the end of the game. Only downside is they're very little interaction, but I just absolutely adored my, my few plays of Hadrian's Wall so far. That is another one that sat on my shelf. I, I got a little bit burnt out last year of just everything life really and certain games i just couldn't bring myself to play and hager's walls won them i got it out i read the rules and there were just too many small boxes on it and i just couldn't face it at the time so i just put it back in the box and put it a bit down and it will come up in my plays and i am excited to try it now i've kind of rejuvenated on life and gaming but i couldn't bring my there's a lot of small boxes on those two sheets you gotta tick it really is I really wanted to play this, and I actually almost had the opportunity to pick up a copy. But I've heard it described as the game that is the most unlikely that you're able to play it without cheating by accident. It's <laughs> because you are keeping track of so many actions all the time. I've heard multiple people say it's almost impossible to play this correctly. I mean, if everybody's making little mistakes as you go, but I think that's where it might fall down for people but it looks great and it's combo and ancient rome i I definitely want to try it i wouldn't say it's impossible to play correctly because everything follows a natural path and a natural progression well as i said when i was talking about is you really do have to trust everyone because there's no way you can keep track of what you're doing or you can keep track of what i'm doing on my board and whether i'm making mistakes or what have you so everyone needs to be of a certain level in board gaming i would say and you have to trust everyone around the table so obviously i can't play with ronan <laughs> you're an idiot is there any interaction at all in the game very little you're, you're choosing resources at the beginning of the game and so you might choose the, beginning of the game or the round no sorry beginning of the rounds so at the uh, beginning of the game was like that's, <laughs> that's it yeah, that's enjoy it, these 20 <laughs> seconds don't talk to me again Okay, my number seven is a funky little Euro game which certainly has flown under the radar and it is Watch by Daniel Newman. It has got a weird theme of being in a Soviet clockwork factory. It used to be an ammunitions factory and it is a 
spatial worker placement thing and there's the capability of taking risky or easy actions there's only eight actions you can choose from when you're playing four players there's only a couple available each turn for you to even go to and it is the whole watch idea and the timing comes through in a very abstract game very thematically and there's this sort of sweep around each turn where people pick up their workers and go opening up spots and taking spots and where you are in that sequence each turn becomes very important and you feel like you are the hands of a clock ticking around this board i don't know what the hand of a clock would feel like but if i did know what it felt like it would felt like playing watch and it's clever and it deserves much more attention i don't think it's the greatest game ever but i think it's something that's unusual and different and works and interactive and the scarcity and it does a lot of classic euro things very well and is done in not much longer than an hour which is a breath of fresh air to me and daniel newman he is sort of tinkered around this was i think his most substantial game so far but he's got london necropolis railway coming out at Essen and that is definitely within my sights because I was very interested in how he designed this so there you go my number seven is watch yeah 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 you did that in like the word the like ticking off a hand of a clock I like that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. it looks awful like a piece of crap like it looks Correct. like it's been pulled out of the 70s Correct. but it's a very good game yeah, it was in my considerations, but I've only played it once with yourself and Rachel, but I had a thoroughly good time, and yeah, good shout. I am pretty convinced that if you could get past the beigeness, Matthew, you would enjoy it, knowing what I know about what you like in games. Maybe. Wow, mealy-mouthed. Mealy-mouthed. That's, that's what you're doing there. <laughs> Sean, give us your number six. Let's get past these mealy I will give you my number six. It's so clever. Repost Productions, we've talked about it loads. Not much more to say other than very, very clever game and just a great interactive party game experience. Absolutely love it. It's great. Okay. Very light party game. Yeah, it's fun. Cool. Matthew likes it. We know that. I'll just go on to my number six. (laughs) Mine is a two-player trick taker. Which, not so long ago, you would have said, that's madness, Ronan. But lots of people are making two-player <laughs> trick-takers. And it is Jackal versus Hyde. It's come out from uh, Main Do Games. It's quite hard to get in this country, but it's worth the effort. One of you is playing as Hyde, and you are attempting to ensure that in each, each hand... There is an imbalance in how many tricks have been won between the two players, whereas the uh, Dr. Jackal player has attempted to keep things very balanced and make sure there is not an imbalance. And as Hyde, you do feel like you're shifting and bouncing and moving around and trying to use these three special powers you can slightly manipulate and uh, attach them to the three different suits of cards and use the, the few potion cards within the game to trigger unexpected events and mix things up a bit and try and get Mr. Jackal... Uh, off his guard and, and imbalance him, Dr. Jackal rather, and unbalance him. And then as Dr. Jackal, you're feeling like, I've got to keep control of this at all times because if I let this start spiraling out of control, it can go very downhill very quickly. It is an absolute delight of a two-player trick taker. I'm slightly addicted to it and so is Ellie, thankfully, and we keep finding the opportunities when we can, when she's not out all the time gallivanting to get it played. Uh, I love it. It's got play Jackal versus Hyde. If you've got any interest in trick-taking games, it's a very, very good game. I've got it. It's great. I really enjoy it too. You can lose it 
you can lose on the first hand. You can just lose straight out if you don't know, if you don't, if you're not careful enough. But and it's definitely one of those that's gonna really benefit from playing it with the same person over and over and over again. Yeah, it's a great one. Really hones your dislike of each other. I find. So is it is it Jackal or Jekyll? Jekyll. Well, now I've been saying Jackal, right? <laughs> yeah, absolutely did. going mental. I know, I know. I always call it Jackal. I think I got in the habit of calling it Jackal because it was annoying them, so I carried on, and now I just call it Jekyll. Yeah, you did it for Jekyll. your whole review. <laughs> the thing, and I was thinking, yeah? what is yeah? this? Is it, is it really Jackal, or is it Jekyll? You, you've lost your London accent and have got a middle What are you going to do about that? What are you going to do about that? Are you feeling all right, Mr. Rhodes? You look a bit peaky. Are you not joining in in the, in the accents, Matthew? No, I, I, I thought I'd just speak in my own accent. Thank you. <laughs> oh, that comedy accent was good, though. <laughs> my number six is a game that I'm pretty sure Sean doesn't like that much because it is Maglev Metro, which I thought was just so much fun. It's a game where you are building out a maglev metro network of tiles and you're trying to achieve different things you're trying to make a network and you're trying to get passengers to certain places to score points and you are able to be really good at one thing and then you can reprogram your actions to be better but also you can reprogram them to be better other things you can take power away from one action and put it into other actions later on in the game i thought it was just really really smart i thought it was so much fun and I really enjoyed the way that you could just feel like you were cheating because you were so good at certain things. It's kind of like you create your own asymmetrical powers in it. There are certainly things that you need to do at the start and like laying track at the start and then things that you want to be doing at the end, such as delivering passengers. But there's lots of ways you can manipulate your player board and your abilities during the game. And I just thought it was great. So Maglev Metro, I really enjoyed it. I didn't not enjoy it. I, I think it's a fine game. It just didn't really hit all the hit on all cylinders for me. Uh, as, as a pick up and deliver game, I found it was quite quite pedestrian and didn't really get going. It wasn't really exciting. And as a resource game or sort of an engine building game, that was better. That side of it was better. But once you got to your optimum performance, there was nothing left for you to really do on that side of things. So. Whereas that was the most exciting bit for me, that tapered out and you were just left with a fairly mundane pick up and deliver. I didn't dislike it, I, I didn't keep it in my collection for space reasons, but it's fine, I'd play it again. I remain Maglev Metro Curious. <laughs> it's a good one. Speaking of space reasons, Sean, I'm taking a risk here. I've gone wild. Go on, what have you done? I am putting a campaign game as my number five without having completed the campaign yet. So there is the risk of this all going to pile on my face because I'm only three quarters of the way through it and we're due to finish it off. But I saw Welcome to the Moon and I said, there are a million variants of Welcome to. We own three or four of them. I don't need any more Welcome to. It's a fine game. We enjoy it. It's not top 10 worthy, but it's a good fun for a flip and write. So I ignored it, and then it kept on getting good reviews. Kept on getting it, kept on getting good ratings. It's kept on climbing up the rankings. It's got an average rating of eight point one. I then bothered to look at it, and it turns out it's a welcome to campaign game, in which you play over several different sheets. It's eight 
to get through it and then you start unlocking more content at that point and you go back and play through again with other stuff going on and I was like wow okay and then it's not very expensive and it comes in a small box and I was like I'm going to have to try this game it's another spoiler for the next review I've enjoyed the first three quarters of the campaign enough that it's gone into my number five game of the year they have done fabulous things with the welcome to system it has the same base mechanism of flipping things over you have a number and an action even the action symbols are the same as in the base game but they don't do the same things and they do different things on every single map and the spatial puzzle on every single map is different and your priorities are different it remains a race to get things done both efficiently and quickly which comes through the theme because we're forced to leave earth and go to the moon and set things up while things are going wrong it is a fantastic surprise product experience i am awful at it <laughs> and welcome to the moon has really shocked me and is currently my number five for 2021 pending more place i've heard nothing but good things about it and i'm excited to try it i liked welcome to natalie didn't so we and we got rid of it i think i might have even given it to you Ron. But yeah, I'd certainly like to give it a go. So that Did Natalie just not like it because she didn't win? <laughs> Shh, she's sure here. Danger. Danger, Danger. 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 Don't Danger. answer that on the podcast. Matthew, move on. <laughs> All right. My number five game is another game that Ronan probably wouldn't have allowed on the list because it is unfathomable. I had never got the pleasure of in trying or enjoying Battlestar Galactica because it was so heinously out of print and people are trying to sell Spanish only language copies for six million pounds and I just don't need to play a game that badly frankly but then this version came out I'm not a fan of Cthulhu that kind of eth like ethos doesn't appeal to me in the slightest but this game is so much fun from what I understand, it takes a lot of the great things from Battlestar Galactica and streamlines it a little bit, but it's great. You are going around trying to achieve tasks, trying to stay away from being just annihilated, trying to win without time is against you as your ship sails onwards, and I just thought this was great, and I can understand where all the hype for Battlestar Galactica is. It's real. And I'm glad that this version exists because I can just ignore all those scalping posts online trying to sell Ooh. their copies. I have played Battlestar Galactica. I owned it for a short time. And I think it's a really good game. The problem with Battlestar Galactica is that it was, it was really long and you really had to be invested in it to, to get a game played. Now, I've heard different things about Unfathomable. I've heard that Fantasy Flight had the chance to really streamline this and really bring the play playtime down, but didn't, and that it was a big misstep on their behalf. So I'm interested to know how. What sort of time frame do you get it played in, Matthew? I think two hours. Okay, well that's a lot shorter than about Star Galactic. Yeah, I mean, I'll be honest. I'm always going to play Dark Moon over Unfathomable every single time. I hate. Dark I Moon. love. Dark Moon. I love Dark Moon. I think it's an absolute brilliant game. But this I is... I, I just always wanted to play Battlestar Galactica and now this version exists. I'm just so happy it's out there because I really enjoyed it. It's staying in my collection certainly and it's just a joy to play. I'm going to put something to you, Sean. Oh. That maybe Dark Moon isn't an awful game. You just hate playing it. I just think it's a nasty game. People like just 
frustrating, nasty, and brings the worst out in people. Yeah, that's why it's fun. No, yeah. I don't want to hate people. What? <laughs> Who are you? What? what well, obviously, I want to hate you, but that's, that's a given. Back, sure. <laughs> right. Can't we all just be enjoy it and play uh, this catapult game? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> While I beat my kid up for knocking down my walls. <laughs> well, got to somehow, haven't they? <laughs> I did play Battlestar Galactica a few times, and it, it was always one that I had to sort of like, okay, do I want to take on this whole experience and this act I'm going to have to put up for the next two hours, good, bad, indifferent, or if I'm, I am a goodie or you know, human or whatever, this whole mental effort I'm going to have to put in to these people who are lying to me because it, it was an endeavour to take on and sometimes I was in the mood for it and I loved it and sometimes I played it I wasn't in the mood for it and I went oh that was stressful and sometimes I just wasn't in the mood for it and sometimes you learn you can't play everything all the time Unfathomable seems very similar if you caught me in the right mood I would love it and there are going to be certain times I just don't want to play it but that's not the game's fault that's just me learning as a gamer you don't have to play everything all the time very good very good so my number five is uh, a game where I know Ronan didn't get on with it. I'm not sure about you, Matthew. It's Intrepid it's from Uproarious Games. And Intrepid is, is really one that flew under the radar. It's all about being in a space station and things go wrong. And you're all controlling a different section of the spaceship. So there's loads of negotiation loads of trying to just make sure your section doesn't blow up and I find it to be one of the most thematic, quite stressful experiences in in any game I've had. I think it's very difficult, it can be won and we have won it and the sense of achievement when you do win it is really strong and I, I, I just love the experience of this and I think it's, it's a really good cooperative game. It was okay it had issues i didn't find it to be that interesting doing very similar stuff i found it hard to level up so you're a bit frustrated i enjoyed the fact that there was a puzzle there but i felt like the game was hamstringing me on how, how much i could do i could only make small differences and it was very incremental what went on and it could suddenly spiral out of control and i hate and you know it and i know we disagree all the plastic on everything like, I don't want to say what it's like. I, I feel like I'm walking around with some sort of protection on my whole body. And I can't, like, just plastic is, like, it's horrible. It, it was a bit over the top. It was a bit it's over like the top. It's keeping the plastic cover on your sofa. I don't have any comfort interacting with that material <laughs> all the time. I mean, genuinely, like, I didn't, it actually put me off playing the game. So there you go. I thought it was good. I played it with you, Sean. We had a good time playing it. We almost won. You're the only person who I know who has spoken about it or even played it. I don't know where this game went, but yeah, I enjoyed it when I played it for sure. It definitely disappeared. Yeah, it was a Kickstarter that wasn't that successful, and I, I did it even make it to retail. I'm not convinced. You know, it's, it's just one of them. There's lots of games like that. Matthew, number four for you. My number four is a game I recently played with Sean again, and it is Mill Fury, which is a thousand oh. flowers. Another Reiner Knizia game that I just absolutely loved. It's got me written all over it. It's a Reiner Knizia game. It's combo-tastic. You're going on these different areas, placing your tiles down, trying to score points in a bunch of different ways. 
you've got a hand of cards, you pick a card, play the card, and that allows you to put one piece of glass out on the table, and then hopefully that allows you to put bunches more of different things out to get lots of points. It's a big point salad game. I think it's very, very beautiful. It's super simple to learn, super simple to teach, quick to play, very satisfying, combo-tastic, and I just thought it was an absolute winner for me specifically. I can understand people think that I am biased towards the genius of Rainer Knizia, <laughs> but I thought this one was just an absolute winner. I liked it. I, like, I, I do I do like it. It's in my collection, and I think it's a very interesting game, very light, but where it does have a few issues for me is if someone attacks an area on the board and really goes for it, you have to go with them, because if you don't, that means that they're going to score loads and loads and loads of points all to themselves. You need to get amongst them. Uh, yeah, especially absolutely. In a couple of and I think that kind of dictates what you have to do. So you're not really playing your own game. You're just trying to eke your own game along, but making mitigating everybody else's game. That's a little bit frustrating. I think the, it can be a bit lucky, the cards that you get, if you really want a certain area and they don't come up and a certain symbol doesn't come up for you, it can be a bit lucky. But... That said, I, I liked every game I've played of it, so it's a fine game. I need to disagree with you, because on, I think that the, the game is so quick and breezy and light and fast to play that the luck doesn't make that much of a difference. Because It's a published 60 to 90 minute game. I think it's, quick, it's quicker to play than that. We, well, at the play count, we played it. And I just think the luck is mitigated by the fact that everybody's drawing hands of cards. They've got that massive discard pile of cards to pick from if you play in the three-player game. I think you can always pretty much do what you need to do. And I think that if you are desperately trying to do one thing, which happened in our game, when someone is desperately trying to do something and then one person says, well, I'm just going to do that and score those points, that person is then disappointed but you can't just rely on getting points in one area. And the other thing that happened in our game was you went all in on the top the, the, the top area and we didn't stop you from doing it. And that was our mistake. But you do have to go a bit of everywhere. You do have to stop someone. If you're doing that one track that goes around the side and you're trying to score points that way, you need to sneak in and stop people from making change there for sure. But I think all the problems with it are mitigated by the breeziness and speed of the game that's yeah, just to, oh, i need to, to defend to one of my i will say that everything i've said basically you guys have gone nah it's crap so i'm i need to defend <laughs> one of them so mil fiori is the one i'm defending i haven't i haven't said that yet but i'm gonna <laughs> i only played it once so i can't give a balanced review on it but christ i had an awful game of it it was zero fun one person ran away with it constantly People would try and do something and then someone would trigger four bonus actions and do the thing that they were trying to do quicker than they had because they just went discard pile, discard pile, discard pile, discard pile, there you go. So that thing you were building towards, I've just nicked from you. You can't have that. You plan your round and you'd be like, I'm going to score 20 points doing that and then someone would play a different card. You have no idea they're going to play it and they're like, oh, I'm going to score a point doing that, not the 20 points I thought I was going to because it's changed so much by the time it gets around to me and I had no idea how much it was going to change. So I have no idea of the value of the card I'm choosing because it could be 1 or 20 and I don't know. And once I've chosen it, I can't change that. So I think there's a lot of problems with it, but it is off only one play. So I wouldn't review it of that, but I need a lot of convincing that this is anything more than slightly random breezy shite. <laughs> All right. 
I, I think it's a, it's a lot better than that. It's, it's a good game. It's a good game. I enjoyed it. What's your fourth then, Sean? My fourth? Oh, well. So I, I'm going to get him on his soapbox again. We're not going to talk about it too much because I think we've spoken about it in the two of the last three or four episodes. It's Golem. Cranio Creations. I really like it. Ronan hates it. Not sure what you think about it. I just think it's a really good... Can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, can I, this is the second show in a row you said I hate it. I rated it over 50. I don't hate it. You hate it. (laughs) All right, fair enough. Carry on. (laughs) And I think it's a very strong game. It has its flaws. It's a bit difficult to learn. The rule book's terrible. And some of the design choices for, for your board, especially, are not the greatest. But the action selection with the marbles, I really enjoy that. And the moving your students and your golems along the paths, and you can't the golems can't go too far away from the students, so you've got to be careful there. And what actions are you going to use with your rabbi? And there's lots to think about, lots to do. Scoring in three distinct areas, so you can choose which one you're really going to push for. I just think it's a, a top, top game. It's in my top 100, as we found out recently. We did find out recently, indeed. And I think it's probably good for what it does. I just don't like what it does. And I don't like all this multiple, do a million different things in order to finally get to the point where you can score some points. So it doesn't suit my play style. It's a bit too fiddly. But I don't hate it. I never said I hated it. And I didn't even diss it that much in our review. You're mean to me. (laughs) I think this is another one of those cranio games that... He's just trying to be a cranio game. I don't know how to explain it more than that. It's just... I enjoyed it. I thought it was fun. I think you need to play it a few times to get good at it, certainly. But it's just... The wick isn't worth the candle, if that makes sense. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Do you know what? I might steal that phrase. That That is how I feel. I think since Barrage, they've taken a turn that I, I, I'm not enjoying. It was fun. It's just so much effort. Yeah. I just don't want to yeah, put that fair. much. I just, want to, I just want to enjoy a game. And I found that one yeah. is just, oh, I've got, to, I've got to keep up with what's going on. I just, this is just something I, I feel about games. Sometimes I want to play a game and have fun doing so. When what I end up doing, and that is, it is a byproduct of playing so many different games all the time and learning games i know that's something that sean enjoys learning games but i feel like i spend most of my time trying to remember what i can even do rather than enjoying playing the game and Gollum certainly had that but that's been said the selection was fun and it, it was a fun game and i i was pleasantly surprised when i played it even though i had such a barrier i did enjoy playing it and i certainly would play it again yeah, that's how I feel, honestly. That's almost exactly how I feel about the game. Cool. Right but my number four is a resource strategy game in the 90-minute mold that I much prefer the style of because it's immediate actions, it's streamlined. Every time you're doing something, there is a reward for it. Every decision is a choice between lots of good things which good thing do I want? What strategy I'm going to take in Cryo, which is about a colony ship crash lands on a frozen planet. It's been sabotaged. Sabotage continues to happen because all the players are sort of rival factions who are trying to save their own cryopods and get them into the subterranean caves. 
before night comes and all the cryopods that are left on the surface of the planet are going to die. Now, that theme doesn't really... It comes through a bit in gameplay, but it's all about creating a very quick engine in order to get vehicles in play, grab your pods from the surface and get them into caverns for some area majority scoring, all done by resource collecting and resource management and hand management of cards. It's got multi-use cards. You can get not you can get like 20% of what you want to do in this game done in the time frame because the game kicks through very very quickly. And so you're always forced to mitigate against the perfect plan to what plan's going to get me most points by the end of this game because I can feel the crushing weight of this sun setting and you feel that I'm I'm under pressure but I've always got good choices. I'm not just going like, oh, I'm doing this and in eight turns time, something might happen. You put out workers, even when you recall them, you can create a little board for yourself that gives you stuff. And it's not like whatever you get doesn't matter. I need to make that board work for how I'm trying to score points. Am I trying to get deep into the caverns? I need more energy. I need to set up a bit of energy production. Am I trying to rescue all of my pods or am I going to let some of them die via sabotage because that's part of the game clock and I quite want this game to be finished quicker. So I'm going to leave them out. So I need less food because it costs food in order to organic stuff in order to collect cryopods. So I don't need to create that engine if I'm going to let some die. And I'm making these decisions all the way through for myself. And also everything I take in the game can be scrapped. So I can set things up in order to then break it all down again when we're getting towards the end to get that last one or two things I need in order to fulfill my plans. But only one person's plan is going to get fulfilled fully correctly. But that doesn't mean they're going to win because then you've got to do, have I actually scored points in what I've been trying to do this whole time, racing against the sun over 90 minutes. It's a fabulous game. We played it two days ago. And every single person that I've taught this game to has enjoyed it it was by Tom Jolly and Luke Laurie, sort of an old head of game design and a new star of game design. And that combination works incredibly well. They did that Manhattan Project game that you like, Sean. And this is their other game together. And it really deserves wider attention than it's got. It's Z-Man Games producing, and it's beautifully produced. And all the production helps you play very well. And it all makes sense. As soon as someone teaches it to you, you get zero rules questions because it just all makes sense. And your workers are drones, and there's one spot on the board, only one spot on the board where they can actually stack up to have multiple of them in a space. And they actually stack. And it's just little touches like that just make you go, oh, there's been a lot of thought put into this whole game. And Cryo is fabulous. It sounds really similar to a game that you were on about last year. That was a game that only you'd played and no one else had heard of it, and it was difficult to get. <laughs> It sounds, it's got a similar theme to that. This sounds good, though. I mean, I'm up for trying it. That sounds up my street. There's, uh, let's, let's play it. Yeah, you've convinced me on this one, Ronan. When I first looked at this, uh, when the Kickstarter was going live, I did have a sniff around it. And it didn't look too much to it, but you assured me, and everything you've said there has kind of given me confidence that there is a lot more to it than I initially thought. I don't think it was Kickstarter, mate. Wasn't it? It's Z-Man. I don't think they do Kickstarters. Oh, maybe not. Maybe not. Maybe I watched a Rado video and he tends to do Kickstarters. So maybe I think, I thought that was why it was That would done. make sense. So, uh, listen, lads. If we, Next time we get together to play a game, honestly, let's play Cryo. I'm not saying you'll love it and it'll be your number four game of the year, but you, I promise you, you will enjoy it. It does very clever things. It's a good game. Cool. I look forward to it. Right. I'm going to kick on to my number three. And it's Embarcadero. From Renegade, I think Embarcadero Good. Yeah. should be like one that should have been one of the biggest games of the year. It should have been right up there. I agree. Sure. Lording it and saying sure. love. Sorry. 
My number three is Embarcadero. Okay. <laughs> so we'll talk about it. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll talk about it together. So I just think it's such an interactive game. The, the, the double use, multi use cards are so interested in how, how you use them. You're trashing things sometimes just to get those components in to make more buildings. You're building next to each other. You're trying to usurp each other for the, for the area majorities. And I just think it's such a clever, clever game. And it came out of nowhere, and I bought it on a whim. And I'm so glad I did, because it's so good. I'm so glad you did. And then <laughs> I bought it. Because <laughs> I played it once with you and went, that is a really good game. And Embarcadero and Cryo have been linked in my mind, because I played them very close together, and I was very impressed by both of them, and I cannot separate them. And I've got, I don't know why this is three and cryos for, they're, they're rated the same. They they don't play similarly, but they have similar positive aspects of a limited number of actions you can do. They both have the appeal of having to optimise every move, but it doesn't feel tight. You have options, so you are making that choice. And when you haven't optimised the move, it's down to you. You had the options, mate. You can, you, you can see stuff, what do you want to do? And when you felt play well you feel like a genius and when you play badly it's your own fault and you're not overwhelmed by rules and there's interaction going on and the theme just comes through really nicely a very unusual theme but works absolutely fantastically well within the fact that it's a euro and it's not a narrative game thank you for buying it sean and put me onto it because i absolutely think it's fabulous I will say this, I think if I'd have played it, I played it one time with Sean. It's the game of the year for me in the sense of I finished playing that game and just sat back and thought, wow, that game was so fun. I enjoyed it so much and I do believe that if I'd have played it more than once and I could, you know, play it, if I'd have played it three or four times, I have a very strong suspicion that it would be probably in my number three slot of the year as well i at least i do think if i'd played it more it would be very high up on my list makes sense it's great so it's so good oh no i was gonna ask you what your number three was ronan we know that it's embarcadero sean Sean, oh thank you ronan (laughs) okay i like it my number three game is that time you killed me from pandasaurus games which is a time warping abstract strategy game that just blew my mind i loved it it comes with different modules in it each of the modules gives you different options new abilities and different ways that the game works essentially you're trying to capture your opponent but you can go back in time and move a piece and that moves some piece on a different board it's kind of played over different boards which are in different time periods what you do in the past like in one, you pl- if you plant a tree in the past, it becomes a shrub in the present, and then it's a full-blown tree in the future, and that will block someone in the future. You're trying to move things and manipulate the board in that way. It's got a s- campaign in it. There's secrets to the game as well, but stripped back, it's just one of the best abstract strategy games ever designed. I mean, ever designed. Up there with tack. I think it's absolutely incredible the production was wonderful the pieces are gorgeous the whole game is just stellar i thought that time you killed me broke all the rules about what an abstract strategy game could be and just 
knocked it out of the park. It is fantastic. It's not my number one because maybe it's just not the game I'm going to pull out with everybody. But at the time I played it, it was like, oh, number one game of the year. Easy. But a few other games just eked it out. But have either of you tried that time you killed me? I haven't, but I heard you talking about it, and I did have a little look at it, and it looks amazing. I have to say, I really want to play this. Yeah, hopefully, in the near future, we'll get to sit down and have a game of it, Matthew, because it does look like it's a bit of a mind-bender, but in a good way. Like it's good. You've got to be really thinking it through. It teaches you how to get better at the game because there's the different modules that you play through, it's got a campaign. It's the only rule book I've ever read that was actually genuinely humorous. <laughs> it's just okay. production wise, start to finish, they just absolutely You're gonna read a second one when you read the rules to that field of cloth of gold. The field of cloth of gold, by the way. <laughs> I'm excited it's very about funny. it. Yeah, it's very funny their rule book. I bounced really hard just off the concept. I just went a time traveling two player abstract. I have got no interest in that and have been lured back in by the flood of positive reviews back to the point of I too. I'm very interested in getting a game of it in and I imagine this will end up in a board game delivery to this house sometime very soon because the good reports are just coming in again and again and again. All right. Very good. On to number two. Very good. Right. On to our number twos. Ronan. My number two has been mentioned several times, left, right, and centre, and is my second most played game of the year behind the crew, and is so close. Ha Yes! That's so good! I'm so pleased! It's just a fabulous game. It's brilliant. It's, do you know, it's so easy to teach that sometimes when people come over and you're playing, I say, I don't need to teach you, and they look at you, and they're like, just sit down. And then a thing gets flipped over, and people start guessing, and you just go, "What? which of these is these two clues trying to get at. That's all we're trying to do. And people are playing immediately. And they're like, how do I play? And you just hand them a clover and go, here's four cards, that's how you play. Oh, great, yeah, I've got this. Obviously, for the familiarity of code names and stuff like that, it helps people get that idea. But it is so easy to teach. And non-gamers pick it up in one minute. Or you just do a practice round. And it's not a practice round when no one's ever fun. I just pick up a clover, write my four clues out, throw it out and go, if these... Play with six cards, by the way. No five-card nonsense. Play with six cards. It's a million times better. Yeah, I agree. Where do these cards go? And that's how long it takes to teach. And people are playing, and they're in, and they're having fun, and you're chatting, and you're laughing, and you're going, you are a lunatic in a good way. Do you ever play with the points? Not really. No, nah, I never play with the points. It's such a fun game. and that, I think that's a testament to itself. You don't even have to play it to win or to to achieve anything. It's just to have fun, isn't it? So yeah, yeah. Uh, to, we the odd time with the family we play to the point, just for the fact that we're family, right? And you've got two sisters who can just read each other's minds like creepy sisters do. Uh, I'm sure Matthew and his brother can. Yeah, and, and, you know. So so sometimes we can get to the point of we might we might do a perfect round here because we know each other so well. But I don't I don't think adding that pressure to playing with other people, even your mates, adds anything to it. It's not a game that you need that. It, it is just pure fun. Yeah, I totally agree. Agreed. It's just brilliant. It's just one of the best party games ever made. Agreed. All right. This, this year, Jude. From one of the best party games ever made to what I argue is one of the best filler games ever made, and that is Dice Miner. Dice Miner is a game where you're drafting dice out of this pyramid thing, this mountain, and you're trying to collect sets to score points. 
you can get runs of dice if you collect the white ones you can get straight up points if you collect the gold you can get you can collect re-rolls because you're going to need to have some re-rolls because you, you might be forced into taking some hazard dice but if you collect the right green dice you can mitigate the hazard dice and once all the collection is done you score up your points and then you roll all the dice that you have collected again and that is your starting position for the next round and then then you're going to have more dice and then the third round it starts and you've had to roll 30 dice to see what your starting position is it's just so much fun there's a mechanism in the game where you uh, if you have a beer the one on the side of all the dice is a beer symbol and you can spend the beer symbol you roll it but you have to give it to someone else so you're giving them something that they need and then you can take two dice from the from the mountain and you can take from the sides rather than just from the top it's so easy to teach it's fun set collection there's dice rolling which is great everyone's got a small little special power i've never had this game go poorly everybody who i know who has played it has absolutely loved it it was difficult to get for the longest time in the uk i just think dice miner is one of the best filler games of the year it's probably top five filler games for me ever i think at this point it's just absolutely wonderful production is great the only thing is the mountain thing doesn't fit back in the bloody box so you have to disassemble it which is the only negative yeah. thing i have to say about it but it's great dice miner is wonderful yeah i i'm doing a ronin now it's going on my to buy list it'll probably it'll probably I be knew it. the second i just looked it up now because i know like i I'd never heard of it i had no idea what you're talking about i looked it up custom dice kickstarter with a mountain not that expensive i was like chad sean must own this game he must do if he doesn't. I, I, I surely would. I have been sniffing around this a long time. I didn't know that Matthew liked it so much, and hearing him gush about it there it's just it might push me over the edge. <laughs> I was literally stifling my laughter. I literally started like going, "Sure, going to buy this game." <laughs> I just have the retail version, and I'll bring it over next time I come over your house or play. Please do, please do. I, I, you know pretty much all the rules already. It's so much fun. My number two is Ark Nova. Yes, we spoke about it. Fuel and Spiel and Capstone Games. I really enjoy it. I do see the flaws. I don't think it's the number four game of all time, but I do think it's a really enjoyable game. I love making up the zoos. I love all the different animals and all the different powers. And yes, it can be a little bit frustrating, but I've learned to deal with the frustration when you can't get the exact animals that you need. I, I roll with it, and I build my zoo, and I'm proud of my zoo at the end, and I have a lovely time, a really enjoyable time playing it, and that's why I got into games, So that's and that's what I love. So I think it's a really fine game. I have been forced into a position of negativity due to counteract how positive people are about this game and to try and say <laughs> and give some balance to it while my cat apparently has a different opinion. <laughs> Me having next to my head. Um, see, Ark Nova brings out the cat, see? See, she's, saying she's <laughs> cheering on. That's all it is. She heard about the petting zoo. Mm, nom, nom, nom. <laughs> so I will say what I like about it. I love the theme. I love that the theme is done in an adult way and looks at a more holistic view of how to run a zoo. I think that the action selection system is fantastic. It is stolen directly from Seven New Dawn, but it is a fantastic action selection system. I love the combos made of cards. I love the fact that you can put together good chains. I like a lot about the game. I just feel it doesn't fully knit together to be a well enough integrated game to be as highly rated as it is. 
I still think it's a good game. I'll always say it if someone comes up, as long as I can have five cards and not three. It's a perfectly great game where you have to enjoy doing the second thing that you wanted to do and not the first thing you wanted to do. Yeah, there you go. Fair enough. Fair enough. From that bombshell, Mr. Matthew Jude's number one game of 2021. <laughs> we, we have no idea what this could be. The best game ever made <laughs> is the Crew Mission Deep Sea. And I absolutely love it. I have had so much fun playing the Crew Mission Deep Sea. And before this, my favourite game of all time was the Crew Quest for Planet Nine. I will never play the Crew Quest for Planet Nine ever again. The Crew Mission Deep Sea is that much better than what was my favourite game. It's just completely superseded the first one. And I love it. And it's just a truly, truly wonderful game. And I love it. Cool. Uh, best thing I can say about this game is that for someone who really doesn't like trick-taking games, I enjoy playing this, and I would say it is by far the best trick-taking game I've ever played. The negatives for me are all, are all about myself, really. I get really frustrated with myself at not being able to keep up with others and see the things that they're seeing, and I feel a bit stupid in, in, in trick-taking games, which is maybe why I avoid them a little bit. But, but you were definitely, definitely getting there. Definitely. I was getting there, yeah, I was definitely getting there. You're nowhere near as bad as you make out. You guys were coaching me a lot and sort of... And we I was played it literally up. hundreds of times, hundreds of times, literally. Yeah, yeah. But no, but that, that, I'm, I think that's good because this game is allowing me to understand trick-taking a lot better. And it's a trick-taking game where I don't automatically go, oh, no, do I have to? It's trick taking game. I say, yeah, you know what? I'm going to give that a go. I probably after about half an hour, forty minutes, I'm going to get a bit tired of it and want to step away. But that's way better than any other trick taking game ever. I do get that after thirty or forty hours of play. <laughs> I was about to say, yeah, but after about six or seven hours of it, I'm like, okay, one more. Well, that's it. <laughs> uh, this would be my number one game of the year if I hadn't done the reprint thing. Just I didn't want to have two crews you know, two years in a row. But but I'm nothing against you doing it, Matthew, because it is an amazing game and is absolutely fabulous. Okay, so my number one game, and there'll be no surprise to Ronan, it's Sleeping Gods from Red Raven Games. I got into the hobby to play exactly this type of game. It's no, it's no sort of surprise that Arkham Horror was my favourite game for so long because of the story that it drags you along and you build up a story. And this one, the writing in it, I, th I think, is really, really strong. And I think that it does set up this world where you can go anywhere. It's an interesting storyline that you're following. You're doing interesting things. I like the fighting system. I think it could be shorter. That's the only criticism of the game I've got. But other than that, the artwork has already been up there in my best production, and I just thoroughly enjoy my games of Sleeping Gods. You and I have a difference in what sort of narrative games we really, really enjoy. Yeah, we do. It goes through computer games, and it goes through board games, and we've known that for, you know, however many decades, in that I require a little bit more direction. So my, my example would be Skyrim. I never got on with Skyrim. I just wanted a bit more direction. In terms of Sleeping Gods, I think I'll compare it to Waste Nights 2 that I mentioned earlier. Waste Nights 2, you're following a narrative to a conclusion. There's a path you're going to go to. You have goals. 
in everything in life, I'm quite goal oriented. If there's a date or a time or something he's doing, that's I'm much better than just being left to just generally do something. And that comes through into my enjoyment of games. I enjoyed Sleeping Gods. It is a fantastic production. It is a good game. I had fun with it. I got to a certain point of playing it whereby I was like, we're just going to have to go back and reset and play this all over again to do it, and then play it all over again and do so. And it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it has consequences to me. And that sounds like criticism. It, that's the only thing that stops it from being a top game and a top 10 game for me because everything else about it I like. So the only problem I have with Sleeping Gods is internal. It's a fine game. I have absolutely no interest in playing this game at all. And in fact, if I was given the opportunity to play it and it was set up in front of me, I would ask to not be involved and give my seat to someone else. But I know it's the same feeling that Sean has to trick taking games I have towards narrative games. I don't want to read your story. I want to play a board game. I don't want to read your story. I don't care about your little world that you've invented. I don't care. I don't want to read a book. I want to play a board game. And this is a book first and a board game second from what I have seen. I really enjoyed Ancient World Second Edition. Obviously, the first edition is garbage. But the second edition Ancient World is great. It's a really fun game. And that honestly changed my mind on Red Raven games in general. I don't love the art in any of Ryan Lockett's games. It's not for me. Oh, get out. I appreciate it's very nice, and a lot of people really love it, and I know I'm the odd one out. I like the way that the older Lear games look, so I don't take my appreciation of art. <laughs> I like the Astari games. I like all my greens to be very, very close to each other. I just, <laughs> yeah, well, I just don't ever look at red raven games and think wow that's a good looking game and i never have and i do not understand what people see in the artwork of the game and that's such a high factor for so many people i just don't want to read your story and that's how i feel about a lot of these campaign games a lot of these choose your own adventure board games oh i don't want to read a book i want to play a game that's right. fine that's fine you crack on, you play your abstract. And you're <laughs> <laughs> to go from me bouncing off a type of game into this game is my number one because it exactly suits a type of game I like to play. It is Radlands, which is a direct two-player card management game, tight resources with direct conflict against each other in which you are attempting to create and destroy each other's small engines whereby you have to make the most of not enough all the time. It's got a post-apocalyptic theme to it that comes through in that. It's got fabulous artwork. It's got tight gameplay. It's got a deck of cards that creates options for you. Every card can be used for free for something little or can be sacrifice something to use it for something bigger you can create a little tableau of your own actions but don't fall in love with anything because everything is going to get killed by the other player and you're attempting to destroy each other's three bases and it plays under half an hour and it plays fabulously and it sits nestles directly into a type of game that i love which is why radlands is my unexpected number one of 2021 i really want to play this i really really want to try it it looks great I would, I would definitely uh, will try it, but as much as Ronan doesn't really get an on with the sort of wishy-washy, not 
not been directed in games. I don't like those sort of two-player asymmetrical games because I just get very frustrated. And for the whole point of what the game is trying to do, so it's not the game's fault, it's my fault. You're trying to frustrate each other and you're trying to block each other. And I just get really frustrated. It's too in-your-face, it's too zero-sum. Uh, Radlands might be one that I'll, I'd like, I would give a go and maybe enjoy. There has been a couple here and there that I've enjoyed but uh, it's not for me, definitely not to buy. So I'll probably try Rodan's and see how we get on. But this would drive you mad. It's a great game, but it would drive you mad because you're just destroying another person's engine all the time. It's interesting that what's really defined the top end of this list is straight up personal preference, right? And it's really what? defined how we feel. We've all chosen very different games. I'd find that just really interesting. And the fact that we've all there's been very little crossover. Yeah. Ooh. You know, I, to me, gaming is. There are more games. There's more diversity of games. You don't just get structured euros or wild dice, and that's a good thing. And there's more niches for people to go in, and we're finding our own areas as well. well I think also I think in the Venn diagram that is us three. I think there's a hell of a lot that converge. Oh but yeah, of course. There's there's the bits that the bits that are sort of our own niche. You we're don't very baby. firmly away on our own. <laughs> Would you like the top 20 first for your quick comments, or would you like us to declare our games of the year that I've just decided from listening to what we're talking about? I think we should. De- What's our game of the year? Let's- well, I'm going to say we've got a light, a medium, and a heavy, even though it's not quite medium and heavy. I'm going to say our light game of the year was definitely So Clover. Absolutely. Yeah. Our medium ish game of the year was, sorry, Sean, The Crew, Mission Deep Sea. Okay, yeah, yeah, no, I I can see that. You guys would have had it as your number one, so yeah, for sure. And our heavier-ish game of the year would be Embarcadero. Yep, I think think that's just about right. I think that is a really good three games list, and I am very, I'm very happy for that to be the the definitive answer. There you go. Agreed. There we go. Okay, so what are the top 20, Ronan? Okay, number 20, a sprawling Princess Mononoke stolen theme, Bitoku. Oh, Matthew's just given that to me, and he said he never wants to play it again, so I'd imagine he doesn't like it. <laughs> you might enjoy it. There's a lot going on. Let's play that way. <laughs> Interested to play it. More Sean game than a me game, which I yeah. think might be true for another Marmite game. Number 19 is Boon Lake. I played Boon Lake once. I haven't liked it. <laughs> In, I'm not an enjoyer of Alexander Fister's games, it seems, so I'm not interested in this one either. I've played Boon Lake once, and it's uh, jury is firmly out. I'm not. I'm really not sure. I need to play it a few more times before I make my mind up. Okay, 18 is only to me. You know I liked it a lot. Welcome to the Moon. Fabulously enjoying it in the midst of it at the moment. 17, Canvas. Yeah, yeah, Canvas is fine. It's it's beautiful, but there's not a lot of game there. It's It's okay, it's okay. Good for the mass market, I think, and that's a great yeah. thing in its own right. Yeah. Okay, number 16. I checked the price of it the other day, and I nearly fell off my seat. We love the original Clash of Cultures Monumental Edition. Oh, it's on so like one. 120 quid or something. Non- 200 quid, Matthew! <laughs> it's not that good. No, that is a fabulous game. Really good game. Yeah, I really want to play it after seeing Joel Eddy drive through review talk about it so often. Yeah, it's a game I definitely well, would love to try. Matt really wants to Gosh. play it, Matthew. So how about next time you come round? That's the game we play. Ah, oh, that'd be great. That and Dice Miner. There you go. We're in. You guys have fun. <laughs> okay. 
Number 15, a fly upon you, it's Cubitos. Get out. Get, Get out. out. Number 14, let's continue rolling Jude up, shall we? Imperium Classics. It's <laughs> oh, fun for some. <laughs> I haven't bounced off it. Another reprint at 13. The first game was fantastic. Kemet Blood and Sand. I like Kemet a lot. I tried this one. Kemet's a great game. No, I've still never played Kemet, and I've owned it for about. Oh, four you years. would love Kemet. I've owned it for you four years. <laughs> yeah. You would love it. You would. You're doing your little combos, building up your little faction, and you're like, oh, my white power does this, my red power does that. You'd love it. You'd oh, really, oh, and you'd win in the end. All over it. Oh, all right. Next one. I have it downstairs. It's very hard to get a group to agree to play it with me. Is Oath. Oh, okay. Very deep, isn't it? Very thinky. Well, I think it's not that deep. It just takes a lot of effort. Oh, okay. <laughs> I would guess. That is also going to be my opinion on that, I imagine. I've not tried it, though, and I certainly would. But yeah. I want, I, I'm hoping to get it made at some stage. I'm not convinced I will. Number 11 is a game that had a fantastic opening, and then the missions and the, the, the scenarios just did not live up to it for me, and some of them really let me down, and it was Destinies. I started so strong on this and it had diminishing returns i feel i concur but you I have two backed. put me off that one you two put me oh. off i played the first mission quite quite enjoyed it there was a few issues i had with it in terms of fairness and what have you and then you guys progressed and said that they just got worse so I, I got rid of it yeah the second one was much worse the second mission i have backed the new orleans themed sequel-ish to it though because I'm quite interested in that. Yeah, I am well. very excited about that one, and I think it would be very good. I think the theming of that one is going to really draw me in a lot more. Yeah, Dark Quarter or Lost Quarter. Yeah, something. I definitely want to try it for sure. Number 10 opens up with a game that Sean has steadfastly refused to allow me to play, and he's a mean person, Meadow. Give me Meadow, Sean. <laughs> I will give you Meadow. I'll bring it down on Thursday. How about that? Have you played it? I played it once. I... <sighs> If I played it more times, it might be my most disappointing because I don't see where the fuss is coming from. <laughs> okay. I just don't see Unexpected. where the fuss is. It's a fun entryway game into the hobby, I feel like, and I think there's a, I think there's a big market for it. It's certainly one of the most beautiful games out there. Okay. And there's an expansion, I think, upstream, downstream, something like there that. Is there's a fun there's more meadow there. coming. Yeah. Number nine, I don't know, it's been misnamed, it should be number one, Radlands. I almost bought it when I first saw it at PAX, I think, or something like that. So I definitely want to try it. Okay. The, number eight, Sean talked about it, Hadrian's Wall. Yep, okay. Another one Another one I want to try. Is what it is. Number seven, uh, uh, Marmite keeps coming up. Ank. I couldn't want to play that game any less. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of with you on that. When I found out, when I found out about the elimination, I was like, mm, no. No, no, no. Yeah. I'm not a fan of that entire series, or frankly, fantastic. For me, and this is my personal preference. If it's got Eric Lang, Eric Lang's name on the box, I'm normally out. Okay, but one you are in on is number six, Terraforming Mars: The Ares Expedition. It's great. Yeah, worst race for the galaxy. Number five, Sean, put up your riot shield. It's Great Western Trail Second Edition. Whoop, whoop, whoop. I could vomit. <laughs> <laughs> Firmly in the middle. I know I'm wrong. I know I'm in the minority. I so many people it's their favourite game. I know many people who say their favourite game. It's just not for me. I'm perfectly willing to accept that it's just not for me. 
I enjoyed my first plays of it, and it and it just dwindled away to where I'll play it. I don't mind playing it, but I, it didn't have anything more. And then we played with the expansion. A couple of games of that, I was done with that as well. I, it didn't have legs at all. I thought it was a good design, didn't have legs. Number four, Shawnee, Sleeping Gods. What? Okay, number three. <laughs> to me, mediocrity in a box, Cascadia. I considered that for my most disappointing because after Calico. I thought, wow, this this is going to be amazing. Uh, but it is a good game. I think it's a good game. It's just not Calico. I love it. I think it's fantastic. And it did not make my list, though. But it's a great game. I, I prefer Calico as well. You're an absolute wrong'un. I just said I prefer Calico as well. <laughs> but it's not a great game. <laughs> Number two. Matthew and I were celebrating Crew Mission Deep Sea. But... Absolutely horrified that ahead of it at number one, as you know, <laughs> number four game of all time, allegedly Ark Nova. There you go. Yeah. The public have spoken. Yeah. And, uh, How yeah. often are the public right? What, mm. uh, no one Always. Yes. Yeah. In this instance. Do you, you love our new PM, do you? Good. Okay. <laughs> Embarcadero is not on that top 20, was it? It certainly isn't. Nor there was So Clover. Yeah. The travesty right Matthew thank you very very much for joining us taking time out your busy schedule you are the busiest man in gaming and or travel coverage thank you hello it's been a pleasure I love doing this so thanks for having me on again no, it's, it's been really great Matthew thank you so much we always have a massive list of games that we say we're going to play after it <laughs> I'd hate to see the percentage of those that actually get played by the time we come around the next year. We try, we try, we do try. <laughs> you two do better than I do. Isolated down here in this tiny little village. Yes, <laughs> right. Sean, thank you very much. And Ronan, thank you very much. And Matthew, thank you very much. And everybody, thank you very much for listening to our witterings. And thank you very much to the Dice Tower who have brought us into their network. Go there and to the Dice Tower itself for gaming goodness galore. If you wish to download the episodes, you're listening to it now, so crack on and keep downloading. Thank you. And <laughs> <laughs> I always forget to admit that one. Anyway, moving on. We are on social media. We have a Facebook page, we have an Instagram page, and we're on Twitter at GamePit Podcast. Most importantly, if you want to contact us, and we really want you to contact us, we are the Game Pit Podcast at Gmail for our email address. We are also in Board Game Geek Guilds and pop along there to have a rant, tell us that we're great. Whatever you want to do, we'll respond and we'll have a chat there. Thank you very much for listening. Music by the Arrow.